Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to a Wednesday 420 edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk today. Uh, lots coming up. Uh, really looking forward to this program today, actually. I mean, we always love having Murat Atesh on the show, and we'll certainly talk about the latest with the Winnipeg Jets. Um, but as Murat sort of teased last week, he had a uh, a special piece for him uh, that was due to come out in The Athletic. Um, had a chance to read it yesterday when it dropped. Um, the incredible, uh, it was just it was such a well-done piece um, by him on the uh, very difficult year that Josh Morrissey had in losing his father. And um, takes you behind the scenes, some things that, as Murad had said, Josh hadn't told anybody before. And um, so I would suggest, if you haven't already, read that. Uh, but Murat will come on the program a little bit later on. Uh, we'll also chop it up with Rendog, Sean Reynolds of Kenny and Rennie and Sportsnet. Rennie's going to come on. We'll get his thoughts on the game last night and uh, the final five games of the season. Jets, despite what you may have heard, the Jets are not officially eliminated from the playoffs yet. That, in all likelihood, will happen tonight if the Dallas Stars can get at least one point against the Edmonton Oilers. Um, but it is not official yet, although. I think we've kind of known where this was this was heading for a number of uh, number of weeks here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. And then later on in the program, um, for longtime listeners that remember what we did over at uh, at OB, in fact, over at 1290, um, Todd Davison was a really talented young player, Winnipeg hockey player that, um, you know, ended up going to the Western Hockey League playing with his uh, brother, Wade. And uh, and then battled cancer for two and a half years before his passing in 2006. And and Wade's been a friend of the program for a long time. He's since moved down to California. Um, but he's going to join the program because he has just released a book on uh, Todd's life. It's called His Last Shift, The Playbook of Todd Davison. I think you'll really enjoy that conversation a little later on. So uh, lots of Jets talk. Um, we will have some laughs as well. Quite the story coming out of Detroit over about the uh, former Red Wings Zamboni driver that was fired for allegedly urinating in a drain. I know Remus will have some hot takes about that and um, some big news in the National Football League as well. Raptors big game tonight must win in game three at home. So we'll get to all of that in a busy, busy edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Um let me just quickly first thank our sponsors, Wallace & Wallace, F Apparel, Vita Health Fresh Market, Culligan Water, Manitoba Battery, Royal Sports, Breezy Bend, Not Auto Corp, Little Brown Jug, Princess Auto, Boston Pizza, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, Canadian Club Whiskey, our betting partner, Quebec Canada. And as I told you folks, if you missed it yesterday on the show, our great friends over at Aikens Lake Wilderness Lodge have a couple openings for university students for what is honestly a dream summer job, whether you have fishing experience and potentially could be a guide uh, working on the dock and the dock hand. Um, as I said, we've been there so many, a number of times, cannot wait to get back out there. And uh, the thought, I was always incredibly envious of the young people that worked there all summer. <clears throat> so if you do have a young person or you are one that's looking for an unbelievable summer job, hit them up. AkinsLake.com is the website, or you can hit Pit Turan up at Aikens Lake on Twitter. Um, and uh, go to my Twitter as well. I kind of talked a little bit more about the opportunity yesterday and pop that up. Uh, let's get to it. Let's get Remus in here to get things going. Remo, what's going on? How are you? 
Yeah, I'm doing all all right, I guess. Like trying to just grasp the reality that this uh, season's almost done. Us uh, not quite mathematically eliminated. We can't can't announce that yet. But I mean, I think it's like the probability. I'm not gonna pay. Attention if it was point zero three yesterday and yeah. they lost, I can't imagine. I mean, we're probably talking about a number of des uh, one decimal and a number of zeros before the number. Bottom not, line not is mathematically. It, bad yeah, Bla- I, okay, Bad Boot and Blade at Blake actually said it in chat before we started. He said the uh, Dallas in the last five games, Jets must win five straight. Dallas get one point or less. Vegas and Vancouver must get three points or less. Vegas has to beat Dallas but win no other game. So it's <laughs> possible. Possible. Oh yeah, yeah, it's possible. Hey, listen, I mean, we're uh, we're, we're, you know, we're kind of having a little fun with this. We knew where uh, everything was at, and the bottom line is they're zero and three on this road trip right now. One more game against Carolina, uh, and then four games at home to finish up the season. And I did see Chris Johnson, like McIntyre, tweeting out that the NHL draft lottery is on the tenth of May, and uh, here we go again, Rima. We're back into draft lottery simulations on the program we'll be uh we'll be cranking out a few of those and we'll see where the team ends how far they can move up um they have tweaked the rules so um you're not moving up from where the jets are to the number one pick or anything like that um but it is uh it, it there is an air of finality around the club i will say this i like their game a lot better last night i mean i thought they came out i thought the first period was was rather uneventful which to be honest for the winnipeg jets i think was a really good thing now they did you know, I don't know, Logan Stanley, who said this a few times before, caught in no man's land last night, and the uh, Rangers got on the board. Uh, but I'll tell you what, that second period afterwards, I mean, the Jets really did create some pretty excellent scoring opportunities. Nick Ehlers had a number of them yesterday and just could not beat um, Igor Shesterkin. I thought Blake Wheeler had a few nice bursts, a couple plays, you know, could have gone in. Uh, but such is the story of the season. Again, the wins and losses right now are, you know, basically don't matter. Uh, but what does matter is what we've seen from the club. And I know we probably want to get to this, Remus. Um, you know, it was interesting. We've heard from a number of players uh, post-game over the last little while, and particularly on this road trip. Uh, we heard from Pierre-Luc Dubois last night. And listen, I don't think he or his teammates, uh, listen, I think there was some embarrassment over what happened in Florida. I don't think they had any reason to be, you know, to feel that way last night. But man, you could just feel the weight of the situation around Pierre-Luc Dubois when he spoke last night after the game. I thought he was going to cry, honestly, up there, just at how tough this season has been. And I think, you know, that was just kind of a typical game we've seen from the Jets. I don't know if there's anything totally wrong um, with their play. They, I mean, especially when you compare it to the, you know, what you saw on Friday, but it wasn't good enough. They didn't score any goals. And how many times have we seen this year? You know, the Jets played a pretty good game but they didn't score, and it's just over and over. I'm looking back, you know, the game against Pittsburgh in January, they played so well, but they couldn't score. Even the shootout, they, they couldn't score. A game against uh, Boston, they played them well, but didn't score. I mean, but the game against Buffalo couldn't beat Uka Pekka Lukanen or whatever or his, his name. But, I mean, there's so many games where, you know, they had uh, all these chances and they just couldn't get it in. And I know they were going up against a Vesna goalie yesterday, but scored zero goals you're not going to win any games and it's you know this team's got I mean a lot of issues in terms of giving up goals but also issues scoring goals 
Um, you know, the bottom six, you're not getting a lot of offensive contribution from them. And I mean, this is the the stat of the season here, at least one of them. Um, there's a few. There's there's going to be a few. There's going to be a few. I'll give you another stat actually too, if you want to talk positive. I guess. Um, Scott Billick has thirty. Sorry, three, thirty, and four. The Jets, when scoring two goals or fewer. So, I mean, you give up. They give up too many goals, and they don't score enough. Uh, you're not going to win. Not a playoff team if you do that. And I think simple as that. I do want to give a shout out before we get to this. These Dubois comments. It was mentioned on the broadcast. Kyle Connor was uh, about to crack 300 shots on net. And uh, I was like, 300? That sounds like a lot. Um, that was actually the most shots on goal by a player in Jets 2.0 history. So I figured uh, it was pretty impressive. Um, Solani has the you know Winnipeg hockey record for was like 380. Buffalo has the franchise record for it was the year before they came here. So Jets 2.0. He was shooting everything back as a member of the Atlanta Thrashers. He was like second in the league that year in shots on goal. So Kyle Carter, 300 shots on goal. Good for him. I mean, he's having a phenomenal season. Um, that is the, uh, that's probably the biggest. You know, when we wrap up the season, then I'll be probably up there if we had the power poll of you know, player performances. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, Kyle Connors had a monster season. I mean, I think he has made, as much as we talk about, you know, the goals that he scored and, you know, the 43 and the 85 points, um, you know, he has certainly made some strides in his defensive game. I mean, still, we're not talking about a Selkie or anything like this, but I think has improved in some ways and, um, you know, has become a pretty key member of the penalty killing unit as well. I mean, there's no doubt that Kyle Connors taken huge steps so far, and I think he will be the MVP of this team at the end of the season. Um, but there's a number of other players. And then the other guy that, you know, I know probably by his own standard hasn't had um, the year that, you know, some expected, but has still been pretty damn good most nights is Connor Hellebuck. But what a weird situation for uh, the game last night. I mean, you know, without the media there, um, like without any traveling media, um, I think people just sort of took for granted what had come out, you know, the announcement that it was Connor Hellebuck at the beginning, but it was quite clear that that wasn't actually kind of officially from the Winnipeg Jets. And, you know, we weren't off the air for too long, Remo, when um, we heard that Mikhail Burden had been called up and Eric Comrie did get the start. And listen, I think it was smart. I mean, Eric Comrie probably should have been in maybe a game earlier or two to give Hellebuck a little bit of a break. Um, and I thought Comrie played a fine game, made some big, big saves, um, just wasn't able to really go head-to-head against a guy that has done his fair share of blanking teams in Shesterkin, who's the Vesna Trophy favorite on the other side of things. But uh, it was referred to as a non-COVID-related illness. Um, you know, you can insert here your joke as to what Connor Hellebuck's been sick of this year. Uh, but the bottom line is, um, you know, burden up with the club, Comrie getting the start, and still no real clarity as to how serious this situation is with Hellebuck. But as we mentioned and sort of laid out with where the team is and the amount of hockey that Connor Hellebuck has played, he wanted to just chill out for the rest of the season. I don't think anyone would have an issue for it. And if there's one guy that deserves some time off, it's definitely 37. Yeah, well, when Dave Lowry said before the game, I was just going by Mike McIntyre and Mitch Clinton's tweets, same lineup as, you know, the previous game. We all thought that it was going to be Hellebuck and goal. And then Mitch had the tweet, you know, was it four or five o'clock before the game that Comrie was going to start. So, but then they announced Burden was an emergency recall, and he did have to get there in time for the game. So, you know, maybe they knew 
Well, they must enough. have. I mean, yeah. I mean, like they, to, to you know, get to New York City from Winnipeg. I mean, you're talking about leaving early, so maybe this was in the cards beforehand. I, yeah. I have no idea the rhyme nor reason of why they t- tell us some things and keep other things so close to the vest, especially in a situation like this where a guy's basically not feeling well, allegedly, yeah. apparently, and uh, with where the season is right now. But I'm kind of past worrying about it right now. Tell us what you want. We'll watch the games, figure out what we can go from there. But, you know, there's not a lot of stuff you can really trust at times. Yeah, I, like I, I don't know. I don't. I never understand like why coaches like don't want to say who the starting goalie is. Those of us who play fantasy and gamble on the games, we need to know this information. And I don't know. They didn't want to. Didn't want to tell us. Now, speaking of not really caring, someone in chat did mention. You know, they. Someone there was a comment. If the Jets win out, can't they like? Don't they lose the tiebreaker for ROW? I'm like, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't care. Like they're they're not in the playoffs. It doesn't. I'm not really that interested in. How the mathematics works that they're not eliminated. I did see Sarah tweet last night that they, she had to, I didn't see the original tweet. I saw that she posted, she had to delete a tweet that said they were eliminated and then reposted. Oh no, they're still somehow positive. Yeah, essentially, if Dallas gets a point tonight, it's over from what I understand. Um, Five games left in the season. One more on the road on this road trip. We'll see whether the team can come back with anything to show for it. And then, Four home games next week, and it's going to really be interesting to see. I mean, you got Colorado, you've got Calgary, or Philly and Calgary, which were supposed to be the last two games of the season. The re- NHL regular season is going to end for everybody else, and then the Jets and Kraken are going to go at it on Sunday afternoon um, on the 1st of May to finish things off. So uh, we'll be interesting to see if there's anything different, whether we do get some of the younger players from the Moose getting an opportunity to play, whether any of the veterans get shut down like we've seen before when the team has been eliminated. Um, and we'll talk about that with uh, Sean Reynolds as well as Marana Tesh coming up on the program. Let's hear a bit of Dubois, though, from last night. I mean, if you did miss it, um, this is what pure disappointment sounds like. Um, and I'm sure it was partly for the game, but it was, it, listen, if you hear this, this is far more than just one 60-minute loss for the Winnipeg Jets. I mean, what we heard from Pierre-Luc Dubois last night seems to be um, just a building, building level of incredible frustration and disappointment that um, probably won't surprise anyone. Here's what PLD had to say after the game. It's been like this the whole year. Um, it just feels like, you know, the fun part of hockey is winning games. Um, but, you know, within the game, the fun part is, is dominating, is, is playing the full 60 minutes of the other team they feel like they're they're trying to catch up to you, to your pace, to your puck movement, to your pressure. Um, I think I think that's what's frustrating. It's you know there's some nights where it just feels like we're playing catch up, even if we're you know close, even if it's a close game. I think you know with the talent we have, we can do a much better job of forcing teams to play our way and not us feeling like we're you know we're trying to catch up to their pace and catch up to their puck movement and and their movement and their breakouts and everything you know I think we can do a better job of being a step ahead and you know a lot of those categories especially with the talent we have yeah I mean and it's obviously late in the year and and not a lot of time to maybe change that you know for this season but what is it going to take to play the way that you're you're describing there, play like maybe Florida or Tampa or even the Rangers did tonight. 
I just think you look at how they play. I mean, they play so fast. They, you know, they get the puck. There's no thinking. They're gone. They're going. They trust each other with the puck. You know, they have they have guys slashing across and they're on the breakouts. These jumping. You know, they. I think predictability allows you to play fast. You don't have to think. You know, you know where guys are going to be. You know what guys want. You look at those teams and they take risks. And I think if you're not risking anything, you know, you might you might not be giving anything up. But at the same time, you're not getting anything either. And it's just it's yeah. You look at those teams and they 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 play fast. You know, even and even when they don't get the puck on the on the breakouts or something, if they chip it out because they have guys going, they get the puck back or they pressure us into giving them the puck back. Um, you know, teams like that, they reload fast. You know, we have, we have to be faster than them. You know, if they want to come down on us, you know, we, or if they want to force us five guys together in tight and, you know, they only need three guys instead of five to, to defend us, you know, that's, that's our job to, to spread them out more and to make, us, to make them defend us one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, you looked at the Rangers tonight and our D zone, they just made us defend one-on-one -on -one and it creates space for everybody out there. Um, I just think we can do a, a better job of forcing, especially the good teams, to to adapt to our pace and adapt to our mindset, and not you know us chase after them. Uh, there's a dejected Pierre Luc Dubois after last night's game at MSG discussing uh, you know where the team's at right now, and I mean you can just hear how deflated and dejected that he is. And, and listen, I think that probably he but speaks for many players in the locker room wondering where the season's gone the one thing that's come out though Reeman, this goes back to friday against the panthers saturday against the lightning and last night with the players that we heard from after the game it's pretty obvious that this team has um you know i, I was wondering what this what this trip was going to be like uh, i think there's a lot of envy right now of the winnipeg jets looking at some of these top teams seeing the way they're playing and you know maybe some internal reflection as to why the Winnipeg Jets have been so I I unable um, to to play like that ever, to be honest. I mean, never mind stringing together a long stretch of games where you're playing like a legitimate top contender. Yeah, and I'm listening to his comments, and I'm not sure if he's um, you know, speaking about the talent that's on the Jets. We know they have trouble scoring, especially from the bottom six. Or if he's envious of the systems and the style of play. I've heard him mention a couple times this year how the Jets, you know, like to sit back and let teams work on the outside. But he's t he's mentioned a couple times how, you know, it, he's like, look, they may not be doing anything on the outside, but neither are we. And you get more tired defending, and the time you get the puck, you know, you're too tired to even go the other way. And I, I have to think that's something they're going to look at. And that's, again, that is too, you know, who said it last time, Connor and now Dubois are speaking like, hey, you know, we should be looking at what these other teams are doing, and why can't we play like them? And it is interesting, you know, how these comments, you know, now that the team is pretty much mathematically eliminated, the comments that are coming out from uh, Ehlers, Connor, Dubois, the last couple of games, more interesting than what's been happening uh, on the ice here. So, um, I mean, that was a pretty revealing, some revealing comments from Dubois. I mean, the... The groans that you hear from Ehlers, I played the one yesterday, the oh. Dubois one before some of these questions. Like, these guys, these guys feel like they're, I mean, Morrissey, I mean, you feel their pain when they're up there. I mean, I was reading Dom's season outlook 
Um, you know, I trust Don. He's has does the model for athletic, very good projections. I've used them to win fantasy hockey leagues. By the way, you never ever even attempt his last name. Do, can, can you? Are you even Lu able of pronouncing Dom's last name? Lucician. Yeah, nicely done. Nicely yeah, I, done. I, I, thought, I thought you were purposely avoiding naming him, um, which because you always just yeah. refer to him as Dom, and people might not know who you're yeah. talking about. Dom Dom L at the Athletic. <laughs> uh, I type him on Twitter all the time. L U S Z T Z. I know how to spell it, but um, I was looking at his. He had the Jets third. I was just like, now that where the season is done, you know, it's fun to look back see where people had them. I mean, he had the Jets third in the West, sixth. In the sixth in the in the west, no, sorry, sixth in the west, third in the central. I mean, sixty percent chance to make the playoffs. This was supposed to be a good team, and uh, I, I think when the season's said and done, I mean, them and the Islanders going to be among the disappointing, most disappointing, possibly Vegas if they don't they don't get in as well. The Vegas, I think Vegas had like their whole hmm. lot. You know, they had a whole top five out, like forwards and defense. So. I don't know if the Jets had that had the Ehlers injury, you know, Wheeler Shafley out at times, but extremely dis disappointing. Yeah, there's there's so much more to it than this. And again, you know, we're we're hearing it right now from players, um, you know, you know, basically daily after these tough losses on the road against good teams. Um, and the final five games are going to be really interesting, both on the ice as well as you know what we continue to hear. The one thing I'll say, and my takeaway from this, and again, it's not like we've heard from every guy in the team, and there has been some damning comments from players like Kyle Connor Remus is that it really does seem like these players care. And, um, you know, you couldn't help but get that out of Pierre-Luc Dubois last night when he spoke. I mean, this is really um, weighing heavily on he and a number of guys in that room, as you'd expect. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's got to be, uh, got to be tough to go through this. I mean, you're trying and it's just not going away. Three-game losing streak, not the way you want to end the year. However, if we are going to be looking at the tankathon draft lottery simulator maybe you know maybe you do although i don't think it's like as beneficial like you're not guaranteed anything so i'd rather i don't know what i would rather than you know try to put together you know build as kyle connor said build some culture uh for next season but um you know well, as i said i thought last night they played hard i mean the wins and losses yeah. to me really don't mean very much but you, you need to show up and you need to you know have that professional effort and i thought they did last night although they weren't rewarded for it. I, I'm not as, you know, I wouldn't go as far as Dave Lowry that thought that they deserved a better fate. Um, but, you know, maybe they could have scored a couple goals. But listen, that Ranger team's pretty damn good. 50 wins on the season. We'll talk about it coming up with Sean Reynolds in uh, just a second. Uh, before we do that, I want to thank Wallace and Wallace, our newest sponsor here on Winnipeg Sports Talk, Winnipeg's fencing and overhead door specialist. You've seen their fences and trucks all over the city. They've been serving residential and commercial customers since 1946. If your property needs the security and protection of a new fence or if winter has done a number on your old one, give them a call. Vinyl, ornamental, welded wire, chain link, or wood, they've got the right fence for you. And if it's time to replace your garage door, they've also got Winnipeg's largest selection of overhead garage doors. Give them a call. 204-452-2700. Ben, Charles, Mark, and the rest of the gang at Wallace will arrange a time to come on and give you a free estimate. And you can also visit them at wallacefences.com or pop down to their showroom on Lawson Road 
off of Keniston. Hey, summer is just around the corner. You know you've got some big events coming up, whether it's weddings, grads, and more. Don't be that guy that leaves his new suit to the last minute. If you want a fresh look, now's the time to go and see the gang down at F Apparel at 190 Smith Street. All the new spring and summer fabrics are in stock and ready. Over 250 new fabrics in every style, pattern, or color. And of course, with weddings coming up, uh, whether you're planning for something this summer or the following, um, don't waste your money renting suits for one day. Talk to the guys at F. You get a 15% discount for your wedding party if you get suits from F Apparel. And um, these will be able to last and you know, be able to wear them for a number of other events as to being one and done with a big bill from a rental spot. F Apparel, EPHapparel.com or online at one. 70 Smith Street. And of course, our friends at Vita Health Fresh Market continue to be the go-to spot for Winnipeg's best selection of natural organic supplements, beauty products, and groceries, delicious lunch options as well, like Vita Market salad, soup, sandwiches, and more. And get your barbecue on with delicious lean bison steaks or chicken. Seven Winnipeg locations, including the newest store in Linden Ridge. And check out their brand new fully shoppable website at myvita.ca to buy online or schedule a delivery with Instacart. All right, let's uh, chop it up with Rennie, who is uh, fresh off another entertaining edition of Kenny and Rennie. Although, uh, Ren, it's uh, it's pretty much par for the course. I mean, we had very similar conversations over the last little while, um, You know, speaking about the frustrations of players speaking after the game. Although I will say this, I thought that the performance of the club was a lot more professional against the New York Rangers than maybe it was against those two games in Florida. Uh, but... Sort of same result and same incredibly um, down, depressing players speaking after the game. Eric Comrie pretty upbeat just because that's who he is. But um, just first off, what did you think about what you heard from Pierre-Luc Dubois last night after uh, after that 3 nothing loss? Well, I heard a frustrated hockey player who wants more. And, uh, and the thing that I find most interesting is, I've said this for a while, the Winnipeg, I think it was Pierre-Luc Dubois who said back when they had like 18 games left, that he thought they needed to run the table back then in order to get into the playoffs. And he was probably right at that stage. Um, so the, the fact of the matter that the Jets, in my opinion, have known they've been out of this for a long time. They knew they weren't going to the playoffs. So this isn't like this just happened. It's not like the dream died yesterday for the Winnipeg Jets. It died a long time ago. The players know that. Uh, so to be showing the frustration, they are already knowing their fate down the stretch. Um I, I get the feeling that this hockey team is is at a stage where it's kind of really taking a look at itself and kind of trying to figure out who is it that we want to be going forward. Uh, because, you know, Pierre Dubois came from a place where they did have some playoff success when they were in Columbus. They were that team that knocked off the Tampa Bay Lightning um, in that first round, uh, the, to, to everyone's surprise that one year. So he has had some playoff success, but he also has known, you know, a little bit more, you know, what it's like to be on the outside looking in when he was in Columbus felt that he'd be coming to a Winnipeg team that was going to be consistently on the inside. Uh, and that's not happening here. So I, I do think this is at a stage where the Winnipeg Jets are, are sitting and trying to figure out who they are, not just for this season, but who they are going forward. And I think what you heard from Pierre Dubois was a real raw assessment of his feeling that on most nights they're, they're they're chasing, they're not the better team. That other rosters are playing the game the right way, they may not be. Uh, and I think it's kind of a little bit, you know, 
you mentioned how Dave Lowry had said that he thought they deserved a better fate. I'm with you on that. I don't necessarily think that they did. I think they're kind of right where they should be. Um, not just in that game, but but in the season as a whole. Um, but I, I think this is you're seeing more and more the players sounding the alarm in their comments, not just Pierre-Luc Dubois, but we've heard it from Stastny as of late. We've heard it from Kyle Connor. Uh, and I think it's you're you're getting the truth serum from the players here who are frustrated and are pointing out the things that fans have been pointing out for a while, but it hasn't been the habit of this hockey team to talk about things when they aren't going well. It hasn't been the habit of this team to do that since Paul Maurice showed up here. Uh, what we're seeing down the stretch here is vo players voicing their opinion and showing their frustration. Uh, and I think it's giving us a glance of exactly who the Winnipeg Jets are that we probably haven't seen before this. Uh, I mean, we've been seeing it just on the ice. We haven't heard it from the players, but I exactly. think it's been pretty clear that this has been a broken hockey club. And I mean, I won't go so far as to, you know, to include the entire organization in, but many people will. Um, and it speaks to the gravity of this situation heading into the offseason with so many other things around it, the need to sell tickets, the need to re-engage fans, and really to, inst to instill some hope. Because the one thing I'll say about this, this season, Sean, and you know we've heard it from people on our respective shows and on social media, the excitement, I mean, this this has sucked the life out of a big portion of the fan base. And I got to tell you, I don't think the fans are much different than the players based on what we've heard recently from this club and, frankly, what we've seen on the ice at times as well. Um, this has really taken a toll on many, many members of that club. And, um, listen, I don't know what we're going to expect in the final five games. Like I said before, I mean, I don't really care whether the team wins or loses. I want to see them come out, play with some pride, play with professionalism. I think we got a lot more of that last night than those other two. But it's very, very clear that that navel gazing has already started in and around the Winnipeg Jets. And, you know, it's been refreshing to hear some honest comments from a number of players over the course of these last three games postgame. But at the same time, I think it does sort of open up a window into um, just how dark it is around this, this hockey team right now, considering the high expectations and aspirations of everybody in that dressing room to the fact that we're talking about the freaking draft lottery on the 10th of May. Yeah, well, it should be dark. I mean, this is an organization, I, I bring this up, it, it kind of blew my mind when it was happening, but at the beginning of the season, during the preseason, it was the players who would come out in the media, and it wasn't us asking about the Stanley Cup. It wasn't us doing that. It was the players on this roster who were bringing the Stanley Cup into the conversation. That's the kind of belief that this team had in itself. And when you set that standard and that belief, you, your fans kind of follow along and say, well, if these guys think they can do it, I think they can do it. Because let's be honest, fans always think better about their team than their team actually is. So if the team is thinking highly of itself, that people were, and you'll have gone through this. You'll have experienced it on your show. I know we experienced it on Kenny and Rennie. The conversation at the beginning of the year was that this was a championship caliber roster and would be competing for the Stanley Cup. So to land where they have, it is it is a massive gut punch, not just for this team, but for the fans as well. But I got to say, I, I one of the things that I'm looking out for towards the end of the season here, like you you'd said, wins and losses don't matter at this stage. It's kind of about seeing a team heading in, a, in, in the right direction or, or getting, getting belief within your fan base that your team is taking this seriously and moving in the right direction and trying to figure this out. And that's why I honestly think, I said it, it's exciting 
that we got the response that we got from Pierre-Luc Dubois and we got the response that we got from Stassi and Kyle Connor and players like this who are coming out and saying the things that they have dared not say in the past with this organization. I mean, I would much rather hear a whole bunch of players at the end of this year say, this was not okay, we weren't playing right, we were getting our butts kicked, we weren't as good as other teams out there because that tells me that they've realized the problem and they're moving forward. I didn't hear that last season at the end of the year again and I, I always bring this up but the the Winnipeg Jets walking out and planting the flag that they were one of the eight best teams in the NHL because they went to the second round when in my opinion clearly they were playing a flawed Edmonton Oilers team that you were you know if you played them the right way you could hmm. shut that team down we all know with the Canadian division all those divisions it was hard to gauge that but, but to plant that flag and claim after the way that they were manhandled in that Montreal Canadiens series, that this was one of the eight best teams in the NHL, and then later the comments saying that they were right on the cusp of a dynasty, I would far well, rather Well, that was just have... Hellebuck, to, to be fair. That's Hellebuck, and Hellebuck was... lives in a whole other atmosphere when it comes to all of those sorts of things. The, sure. the, the bit about being the top eight, though, I mean, that was from the general manager, exactly. and I think, they, I think they were trying to say, hey, you know what, there are some things that we're happy with, that we're proud of, and listen, they're putting forth... They're they're putting forth a positive spin on it. I mean, I think that if you if you talk to those guys off the uh, off the air, if you will, I don't think anyone was pleased with the way that it went down. But again, the one thing, and this goes into excuses that have been around the team for a long time. In a lot of ways, it was sort of play. Hey, everything that happened with Mark Shifley, he was out, and then things went down. I listen. Anyone that watched games two, three, and four of that exactly. series against Montreal knows that it was way way more than that. But, I mean, listen, I'm not going to kill them for saying, hey, listen, we got to the final eight. We want more going forward from it. I mean, that's just putting a little bit of lipstick on something and making it look a little bit better. Okay, you don't need to kill them. I'll step in and do that if that's what it takes to do here. But the, 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 the they conducted themselves in the offseason as though they were exactly what they proclaimed for the, from themselves. So I don't think that they were putting a little but bit of once they on got something. Dylan, well, let, let's move to this because they acquired Brendan Dillon, they acquired Nate Schmidt. Because what were we talking about last year? Hey, you know what? There's a lot of good pieces on this team. Hellebuck's awesome. They can score goals. But man, they just don't have the personnel on the blue line. And right. hey, listen, I'm as guilty as anyone of being pretty excited about those deals and thought that those were key additions that, you know, would take the Jets from being a team that, you know, got manhandled from the Montreal Canadiens that could handle their blue line. You know, there was legitimate optimism. I mean, they spent a lot of money to do it. They brought in two veteran players that had, you know, pretty good resumes. In your opinion, when you look at this entire body of work, Sean, where did it go wrong? Uh, particularly on the blue line, considering what I think most of us expected to see with the commitment and the output that they put to shoring up that blue line with some guys that have done it before in the National Hockey League. Well, I think to pin it all on the defense is, is to suggest that defense is an island and your defense is what defends for you. Clearly, team defense is not this team's strength and hasn't been for a long time, right? So what you were asking, uh, you know, we've had the question asked before, uh, was that deal to bring in both Schmidt and Dylan, is that a bust? Well, it's only a bust if you think that, those guys can come in and defend without the entire team properly defending as well. It's not fair to ask that of those players. And so, 
to me, the idea that they went out and got those players and patched a hole and that was it, this was a championship-ready team, was to assume that everything was right on that roster except for a couple of people on the back end, right? And we have, we know, we talked about it, you've talked about it at length on your show, the Winnipeg Jets have been a team that has survived off of Connor Hellebuck erasing their mistakes for a long time. And we knew analytically that the, the the offense on this team, it was a big part of the problem in getting that defending done. And, and so to ask those two players to come in and fix everything was only going to work if everyone else pitched in and did all the same things at the same time. So I think that that deal and bringing those players in, in the end, if you look at it, Hindsight is 2020. We look at it from the beginning of the year to the end of this year. I think what we've learned is the idea that was floated for a number of years that Dustin Bufflin left this team in the lurch and they would have been a good team for a really long time, except for that hole left on defense. I think this that this pops that balloon. That wasn't the problem. I think that's what we found out this year is that the balance is not right. There's not enough depth scoring. You rely too much on your goaltender, adding a couple defenders in, you know, it is only going to work if everyone defends as a whole. I think that we've got extremely, excuse me, I think the Jets have extremely talented forwards up front, but I think their their offensive gifts come off of pushing the game offensively and not necessarily defensively. Uh, and there's got to be questions asked. Are, are, are Nick Ehlers and Blake Wheeler and Kyle Connor and Mark Shifley and Pierre-Luc Dubar, these are the kind of players that are capable of maintaining their offensive output while building on the back end and becoming more defensive, or is taking the time to be more defensive going to take away from their offense? Uh, because then that's going to change the balance the way that you have to look at this here. But clearly... Uh, offense was not great this season. I think we were all a little bit surprised by that. But defense is clearly this team's problem. They need to get better defensively. And the question has to be asked about all this personnel, all this elite talent that we talk about. Is this elite talent able to get better at defending? Because if they can't, then you've hmm. got a problem and you've got to find a way to become a better defending team. And if the, all that elite talent doesn't isn't able to add that element to their game, then you need to look at rejigging things. Yeah. And, and you know what? I mean, it's well put it. And, and, you know, when you, when you look at it that way, and, and I mean, I, I go back to some of the comments we've heard from Connor and Dubois. I mean, sometimes it sounds like they're putting it directly on themselves, which certainly is a part of it. Other times it sounds like, you know, they're a little bit of a rudderless ship when it comes to their systems and what they're doing, mm -hmm. the identity comments. And then there's the roster, which obviously falls on the shoulder of the general manager. And that is why as we go into this offseason, I mean, it was easy last year to think, listen, the, the problems with this team is on the blue line. That's the job of Kevin Sheveldayoff. He went out and did that. And okay, this, this should be a lot better. Coming out of this season, Sean, there's questions about the roster composition. That's on Chevy's uh, shoulders. Mm -hmm. There certainly is huge questions about the way this team has been coached and managed by the guy on the bench, whether it be Paul Maurice or whether it be Dave Lowry. And then there absolutely is responsibility on part of some of the players as well. And it's not an easy solution. And the fact of the matter is, I think this goes to this audit that they're going to end up having to do at every level of it. I mean, I really do think that this team has almost come up short in every aspect of it. And there's not a quick fix or a simple answer as to how this thing gets turned around over the course of one offseason. No, and and I think you're right. There's a piece of this is that's owned by everyone, 
clearly the player's effort has to be there regardless you're a pro. So if the effort hasn't been there, that's a problem there. Coaching is going to come into question. The general manager, like you said, the composition of the roster. But to me, this is the, the, the interesting part about this is um, – Paul Maurice walks away and Dave Lowry is promoted and, and is taken care of, sorry, is moved into that spot. The thing about this is if this was a coaching issue, and a lot of people think that this is the way to go, you'll hear it on your show, we hear it on our show, there's a lot of people and there's a belief out there that if you just get the right coach in, that this roster composition is fine and that you, you just carry forward with the right guy. Now, here's the deal. If that's the case, you have to look at the job Kevin Dayoff has done this year and say, when Paul Maurice stepped away, it was an opportunity for the Jets to go out and find a coach that had a philosophy that they wanted to push forward and see exactly what they had with this roster. The Vancouver Canucks are a perfect example. You bring in Bruce, Bruce Cassidy. Uh, sorry, not, uh, sorry, Bruce Boudreaux, you bring him in and you get a real look at what that roster can be under a different philosophy. So the one thing that the Vancouver Canucks have going for them heading into the offseason is regardless whether they make it or not, they're probably not going to make it, but they made a significant push and you can walk away from this now and say, okay, we have an understanding what this team looks like under this different philosophy. We have an understanding what these players look like now that a coach got more out of those players. It's the same thing in Edmonton with Woodcroft, where you're taking a look at this team and not only like forget forget the fact that they're shooting the lights out with their record, but you are seeing things out of players that you didn't see under a different coach. That didn't happen here in Winnipeg. You didn't get certain players just absolutely popping and playing out of their mind. You didn't see a different style. This was very much a continuation of what happened with Paul Maurice. So to me, that's a wasted opportunity. This was a chance to make that coaching change, to go find something that was going to give you a different response from your players and allow you to move forward and say, okay, if it's roster composition, that's the problem. I can tell you it's the problem because this guy got better here, but this guy got worse here. (laughs) There was really no change. And to me, that's a wasted opportunity. And that's got to be on the general manager. The opportunity to get a different look at this team was built in with Paul Maurice walking away from this team. And that opportunity was not taken advantage of. And because of it, the question marks are that much greater for the mm-hmm. Winnipeg Jets. And I think it's that much harder for them to understand what it's going to take for them to change this thing over and get it going mm-hmm. in the right direction in the offseason. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, I, I, I'll I'll agree uh, at, on some point. I mean, if they listen, I think they believe in Dave Lowry. They thought this would be a guy that can continue doing what they had already bought into at the beginning of the season. And that's when. But listen, we are where we are right now. Um, and, you know, it was an interim coach. It wasn't like they gave him a four year deal or anything like that. I think that will be a huge part of what has uh, is reviewed. Um, I think there'll be significant changes to the roster. But when it comes to the coaching, I mean, that opportunity is going to be the case with a full coaching search come in the offseason, assuming that they do decide to make that move. What kind of a coach to you makes sense for this group, assuming that the majority of the Winnipeg Jets that we've watched over the last couple of years are part of this club next season? Uh, I, who can I be the guy that can get uh, get uh, can establish a different culture and get, frankly, a team that plays a heck of a lot more cohesive than we've seen at almost any point this year? 
I don't want to cop out on this answer, but but I don't know because I don't know what this roster composition is going to look like. Like the, the the Jets need to become more defensive. So do they take and do they move some high end elite assets to to get a, a team that is more stable and maybe you get some some of those stud players who can chip in offensively, but they're also very good defensively. Like if you're if you're able to go and add some of those assets, then I can give you an idea of what coaches would do well with those with those types of players. I mean, I, I take a look at a guy like uh, uh, Craig Berube is a no nonsense kind of guy that I think would be, if you find a guy like that, you're absolutely, I think, going to address your culture. And I think that you're going to get more effort out of your players, but I don't like, I'm, I'm, Throwing this question out there, I don't know that the Winnipeg Jets, as they are built right now, their core is an extremely mm -hmm. talented, fast, slick core that is able to score lots of goals with very little opportunities. That's the strength of this team. But I don't know that you turn those players who give you that element into defensive players. So how do you handle that? Do you just go bottom heavy with, with uh, uh, you know, adding players that are completely defensive in nature? Well, then that gives you the problem that you're having right now now in that you're not getting enough offense out of your three lines do you do you change the balance I mean I don't know what 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 the Winnipeg Jets have identified here as how they need to look like going forward this is what I go back to and I, I know that he took a lot of heat for this earlier on but I praise Mark Shifley for being the first person to say this team doesn't have an identity because they don't I don't know what they are. I don't know what they're supposed to be. And I have no idea in the offseason what the general manager what wants them to be. And until I know that, I don't know what kind of coach you want to bring in to do this. Do you need a slick guy because they're going to continue to try and score their way back into contention? Well, that's going to take a specific kind of coach. Do they need to become more defensive and rejig their lineup so that they become harder to play against? Well, that's going to be a different kind of coach. But I just think there's too many moves that need to happen first before you can figure out what kind of coach you are going to want. Now, if you decide that this is our identity, maybe you can go get a coach that matches that identity and then start changing the player personnel to get there. But I just think that question is putting the cart before the horse. And I think it's one of the reasons why there's a lot to do for the Winnipeg Jets in the offseason. Uh, it's funny you bring up Craig Berube because I spent a lot of time um, thinking and watching the Blues as of late. And they have been smoking everybody. I mean, they are winning. And, and, and one in their last 10, yeah. And, and you look at their roster, Sean. And I mean, the way that they're composed, uh, listen, they were trying to get anybody to take Vladimir Tarasenko in the offseason. Yeah. He's their leading scorer. He's got 79 points right now. Robert Thomas is having a breakout season. Buchnevich is handled well. But I mean, a guy like Jordan Cairo is, you know, on the third line right now, but chipping in in a lot of ways. They are so deep. There's not one line that it's not like Calgary where you have like the best line in the league and they're kind of carrying everything for the most part in goaltending. I mean, they really are balanced, and that balance is gone. When the Jets have been at their best, they have had a similar balance, although maybe even some more high-end talent up front. Uh, but that certainly isn't the case right now. But that is sort of the standard right now. And when you look at these other teams in the Central that this Winnipeg Jets team is going to be competing with for the next number of years, um, they really have fallen back behind the rest of the pack. And it's a, there's an incredible amount of work to do. Um, so we're not having this same conversation 12 months from today.
Yeah. And, you know, to go back to Barube, I always like to tell this story because I covered them uh, for the first and second round the year that they won the Stanley Cup final. And I remember in the second round against the Dallas Stars, Ryan O'Reilly, who would eventually be named the playoff MVP, was demoted to the fourth line on that team. And I asked Barube the question about it. We were covering it for Hockey Night in Canada. I, I, and it, to, to me, coming from Winnipeg, where you would never see that happen, never in a million years have we seen a scenario where you would take and put either Blake Wheeler or Mark Shifley or Kyle Connor or any of those players from the first line and put them on the fourth line? It just would not happen. So I hadn't, you know, it was, it seemed odd to me. And I asked him why he was doing it. And he'd said, look, his effort wasn't enough. So either I'm going to put him on the, on the fourth line and he's going to give me effort and work his way back up the lineup, or he's going to go on the fourth line and not give me effort and he will hurt me less there. But either way we are winning by putting him to the fourth line blew my mind. If you want to build culture in your organization and you're not afraid to take your best player and teach him that lesson, you're going to build culture in that manner. Right. So uh, to, to back to your point, like a guy like Craig Berube, if you want to get to that culture here where it's like there is no question you are either giving effort or you are not getting opportunity. Maybe the Jets need a little bit of that. I don't know how, you know, Craig Brube is not available, right? But I've always thought before, I've and I've thought this for years, Hus, it would be interesting to see just as a case study how over these past number of years, how differently Craig Brube would have handled the, line, the Jets lineup um, compared to Paul Maurice or even Dave Lowry at this stage. Mm. What would have happened this season on the nights where I think we can all take a look and th- think Mark Shifley, on certain nights, his defense has not been anywhere close enough. What would Craig Berube have done in those incidents? How would that have been handled? And were there lessons that could be learned and taken forward from that? Um, there, there's. I think there's the, the, the interesting part about the Jets is I don't think a lot has changed. Their philosophy has remained the same for so long. So there hasn't been a lot of different things tried, right? They've stayed the course. Like I said, last year, they walked away from that. And it wasn't like we got blown out by the Canadians. We need to change how we do things so we can't get leaned on. No, it was we're right there. and We're just going to keep pushing forward. And I think because the philosophy has never changed or never really been questioned, not a lot of different stuff has been tried. And because of that, when everything finally fell apart, the wheels fell off the bus and they're missing the playoffs this year. There are so many questions to be asked and so many answers to be pursued. It really puts me in a position where I have no idea what's going to happen in the off season, but there's a ton of different ways this could go, or they could continue doing what they've done all these years and stay the course and say, we're, we're, we're next year's Calgary flames. We just need the proper coach. And then we're off just like they are. I don't think that's the answer. Uh, but, I don't know. Maybe that's what happens. We haven't seen any difference. No doubt. I mean, just to, to wrap that, I mean, the one word that comes out from everything you just mentioned, Barubi, is accountability. And you do something like that with a player of Ryan O'Reilly's. Every single player in the locker room hears it loud and clear and gets that yeah. message. Uh, hey, bud, great having you on the program. I know you got to run. Busy day for you guys tomorrow because it is Thursday and it's a game day. Fill people in on uh, what you guys will have following Winnipeg Sports Talk and, of course, following the final road game of the season. Yeah, we've got uh, uh, James Patrick is going to come and join us uh, to chat ice because we're going to be doing a special 
version of Kenny and Rennie for game one on Friday of the ice series. Uh, clearly one of the most exciting, if not the most exciting junior teams in the entire country. So we'd like to dig in with them. We're also going to chat with uh, one of the boys from the hockey night in Canada Cree um, broadcasts. Uh, so that should be fun. And uh, yeah, other than that, we'll just keep plugging away and doing what we're doing for these last games of the year. It's funny. And I, I you're probably seeing it as well, Huss. Um, there's not a ton to talk about because the games don't matter in that regard, but there's a whole bunch of other stuff to talk about because of what's happening down the stretch here. So it should be a fun uh, conversation to have to close out the season here because a lot of people have a lot of different ideas of where the Jets need to go. Oh, never a dull moment. There's certainly a lot of topics for us to get to as we get to the finish line. Now, thanks for doing this, Ren. We'll talk to you soon. Anytime. Say hi to Murat for me. I certainly will. Appreciate it. There he is. Sean Reynolds of Sportsnet and Kenny and Rennie. And uh, yeah, tomorrow after WST, the guys will fire it up at 3 p.m. Man, I was so impressed with James Patrick when he was on the program. Looking forward to see him join the guys tomorrow before the ice get going on the playoffs Friday and Saturday against PA at the Ice Cave. All right, Murata Tesh coming up in just a second. Uh, Do want to give a big shout out to our friends over at Culligan Water, the water experts in Winnipeg. For over 65 years, as a family-owned business here in Winnipeg and Southern Manitoba. Culligan has it all. Water softeners, filters, bottled water coolers, whole home system systems and drinking water systems, not to mention citywide water delivery services, as well as commercial and industrial water products and solutions. Pop down and see them at 1200 Sargent Avenue, 694-5180. And you can find out all of their products and services online at drinkculligan.com. Uh, Donnie and the gang at Manitoba Battery are ready for summer. Summer hours are in effect officially as of now. It doesn't seem very summery right now, but I know a lot of people have a lot of work to do to get ready to dominate the uh, brief season we've got coming up. Um, so 8 to 8 now for Manitoba Battery. You can pop by, get everything you need after work. And for our friends outside of the city getting ready for farming season that uh, can't come soon enough, I know for many people out, it's the annual battery farm sale on right now. you got Group 31 1100 cranking amp batteries for $87.50, Ford and Chevy half-ton batteries for only $79.50, and a 900-amp top post utility battery for just $72.50, to name a few things. Make sure to get your phone orders in so the gang at Manitoba Battery can have everything ready for you for a quick and easy pickup when you come to the city at 1026 Logan Avenue. Check them online at manitobabattery.com. And uh, got a chance to do a chat with Greg over at Royal Sports last night. They are excited, man. That Canada soccer, the uh, Weekend 22 shirts that came in earlier this week are flying out the doors. Blue Jays merchandise and more. And we're now just starting to get the rush on people actually playing sports, soccer, baseball, softball, bikes, fitness, and more. Royal Sports has you fully covered. Whatever your sporting goods needs are, Royal Sports is the place. 750 Pembina Highway. And make sure to follow them on Instagram at Royal Sports Pembina for the latest merchandise drops and deals. All right. Really looking forward to this next conversation uh, with Murata Tesh, both to talk about his piece in The Athletic that I hope you will have already checked out. If you haven't, make sure to do that ASAP in The Athletic, as well as the latest with the Winnipeg Jets. Let's welcome him in. Murat, what's going on, man? How are you? 
Doing well. Happy to be here. Good to see you again, Hus. You as well. It was the uh, great quick chat last night. Got to see a little bit of the game. And uh, of course, I frankly wanted to talk more about uh, the uh, the piece that you did with Josh Morrissey. But listen, I think when we get into that, it's going to take, uh, it, that will really kind of be the uh, majority of our conversation. So before we get into that, uh, just quick thoughts on uh, the road trip so far for the Winnipeg Jets. And listen, I mean, that game last night, from my perspective, was a much better performance effort. They weren't rewarded on the score sheet. They lost 3 nothing. Uh, but certainly, I think the players probably felt better about the way that they played as opposed to Florida. Um, but to me, the most interesting thing that's come out of this entire road trip hasn't been anything on the ice. It has been the reaction of some players post-game. Nikolai Ehlers, Paul Stastny, Kyle Connor, and then an absolutely dejected Pierre-Luc Dubois after the game last night. Well, what's your take on what we're hearing from the Winnipeg Jets right now with five games left in the season? I think it's honest frustration, Hus. I think it's a bunch of guys, especially those ones that you just named, who, whether they have letters or not, are part of the Winnipeg Jets leadership group and maybe are even growing into their role as stronger voices within that community that should be the Winnipeg Jets dressing room. When it's Nikolai Ehlers speaking up, when it's Kyle Connor speaking up, Pierre-Luc Dubois, these are mid-20s, prime-aged guys. I mean, Pierre-Luc Dubois just entering his prime, really. Um, that have given everything that they've been able to give over the course of the season, Josh Morrissey as well. And we're hearing them say some pretty pointed things. Uh, the idea of motivation not being quite right, as per Kyle Connor, the idea that there needs to be the installation of culture now that looks into next season or that helps next season become a turnaround. Um, the idea of teams not playing for each other, or maybe not in those words, but highlighting teams like Tampa, Florida, New York, teams who are winning and saying that they do play for each other, that they do play the right way and acknowledging that Winnipeg isn't playing the right way. I mean, that's pretty cutting stuff, just like you said. And the thing that, so we can get into that and we can deep dive that because I think it says a lot about the team that these things are being said frustratedly, honestly, calmly to the media, dejectedly to the media with whatever the emotion is on the day. It's been consistent. And that means something. I believe it. The other thing from a more positive point of view is that these are the guys who are going to be carrying the mail results wise for the Winnipeg Jets over the next few seasons. Kyle Connor, I mean. 40-plus goals, could have flirted with 100 points depending on how many games he had played. Nikolai Ehlers, one of the goals-per-game leaders, along with Kyle Connor, pardon me, not goals-per-game, goals-per-minute-of-ice-time, leaders in the whole National Hockey League, along with Kyle Connor speaking up as well. Pierre-Luc Dubois, one of the drivers. The fact that it's the guys who will be driving the bus of success saying these words, I think offers a glimmer of hope looking forward too. Well, I, I agree, and it's obvious that they do care. Um, you know, sometimes, I mean, there have been performances where I think we've asked those questions based on what we've seen on the ice, but we're certainly seeing that there is that, and there's a very difficult self-reflection, I think, going on um, on the part of many players right now. But what I found interesting, um, and I won't, you know, break up all of the the different comments from the different players, but, and I think it speaks to just what a kind of a mess this season has turned into in that you know, when you hear what Pierre-Luc Dubois has to say, I mean, part of it you're hearing, like, you know, it's there's definitely on the players, but you do hear that do they actually know what they're trying to do together, which would be on coaching. And then there's part of me that, you know, you hear what these guys are saying and they, 
I don't know, maybe that's just a self-fulfilling prophecy, but, you know, they kind of feel that they maybe don't have the firepower to go up against teams like they've just played over the last little uh, last few games. And I mean, Marat, and I think, you know, there's plenty of uh, there's plenty of blame to go around. And I think, you know, some self-reflection on part of the general manager, coaching staff, players. But it's a little bit of all of that. And we, I think, have really heard some of that, whether intentional or not, coming out of these last three postgame pressers. Yeah, when a season is this far off of expectations, Huss, I agree with you. I mean, it has to be at least a little bit of a lot of things. And sussing out exactly how much belongs to the players, how much belongs to the coaching or management decisions or what have you. I mean, that's our challenge. And it's definitely True North's challenge. It's definitely Mark Chipman's challenge to identify, well, has Kevin Dayoff delivered the, the horses or the firepower, like you said? And if he has, then have the coaching staff made the right decisions about how to use it, have the coaching staff. Um, instilled the right sense of confidence of X's and O's of strategies of systems. Are they playing the most modern NHL version of hockey that they can? Are the players buying into that? Are the players getting in the way of that? And there's room in my mind for the idea that all of these things are, are possible issues for the Winnipeg Jets. And that's why they fell so far short of expectations because there's this real sense when you hear like a Pierre-Luc Dubois or, or some of the guys that spoke over the weekend that they might not believe in the X's and O's that they're playing. And you heard it from Andrew Kopp right before he uh, was traded to the New York Rangers talking about the penalty kill. He said when we finally got off our lawn chairs hanging back, right? <laughs> that was an unbelievable line. <laughs> it was a killer line. I'd say that I was the next one to speak. I said, Andrew Kopp, that was a great line. <laughs> is it safe to say that this is a move you wanted or are, are in full support of? And he like he was about to tee off and he just said yes and smiled. Right. There, there is a sense from the guys that we've come to count on as the ones who will talk three dimensionally about systems play that maybe the Jets aren't that modern. Maybe they don't. Maybe their forwards don't stretch, forcing the opposing defenseman to back off the blue line. Maybe this man to man coverage is leaving them lost from time to time. Maybe there isn't enough commitment. Maybe it's a coaching issue. Um, there seems to be a, a disconnect between how forwards and defensemen um, are either believe that they should play whether it's forwards not coming back defensemen not pinching up or that's a coaching decision as well but it's clear to see that the quality does not match the standard bearers of the nhl and that's frustrating these guys because they want to be challenged they want to be pushed they want to play the most modern version of the game possible and they're not seeing it in themselves. And that's got to be a devastating feeling to watch the playoffs fall to the wayside as soon as tonight uh, when you know that you could have done better over the course of the season. Yeah, and, and I was thinking not last night, but I guess the night before when the team would have been off, they would have been in New York City and I'm watching the Canucks um, beat Dallas to win six in a row, showing an incredible amount of resilience and a, a real lack of quit that I think a lot of people thought might have happened to a team like that in stark comparison to sort of the performance we've seen from the Winnipeg Jets. And listen, I'll put the Jets roster up against the Vancouver Canucks any day of the week. Um, and up until this season, the Jets have owned Vancouver for the better part of the last five years. Obviously, there's changes year over year. But I, I would, I would love. I, I was just thinking, like, imagine if you were one of the guys, especially the guys that had just, you know, had some pretty heartfelt comments after these tough losses in Florida, and you're sitting throwing on Sports Center, and you're watching the Canucks do what they're doing, hanging in there, playing with urgency, with desperation, and getting the results up until they did drop a point last night in OT. 
I mean, it's a pretty stark contrast to what's happened here with the with Winnipeg and part of that dejection and disappointment that we've heard from the players sort of has creeped out onto the ice right now. It certainly seems like they've known that this is over for a while. And that's a tough situation for a team to be in, especially when you had the uh, expectations going into the campaign. Well, I agree with that again. I do. I really do. And I think that from my perspective, to put aside the X's and O's and that sort of stuff for, for a, for a moment, I mean, it comes down to belief. And if those guys can look at how they're playing and see the difference compared to how other teams are staying in the fight, so to speak, seeing how they other teams play connected, play for each other, and they see in themselves that they haven't done that, or even when they have done that, they haven't had success, where is the conviction going to come from? Where is that belief? And if they don't necessarily feel um, that that everybody's pulling on the same rope in the same direction, uh, if they don't necessarily feel that the that the quality of Winnipeg Jets play is on par with teams like Vancouver and far above Vancouver as well. I mean, just from a human point of view, you start to wonder where the belief and motivation comes from. Who's pulling players into the fight? Who's, you know, who's still playing with that commitment and committing to that back check and blocking that shot or making that hit or being quick on the forecheck or, um, getting the quick change, whatever it is, those little things that are effort-based that show uh, that show a person's teammates that they're still in it and still there. I mean, I don't know if every Winnipeg Jet sees that right now. I don't know if every Winnipeg Jet sees that. And I believe that they want to be held accountable. I believe they want to see accountability where if players make mistakes, minutes come down. If players play well, minutes go up. Um, these are not the most significant players on the Winnipeg Jets, but Jansen Harkin scores two goals. Sanford takes his spot, moves down to the fourth line. Sveshnikov goes up to the top six, scores a beauty goal, goes down to the fourth line. Top six guys make mistakes. Their top six minutes don't change. Or if you look at Nikolai Ehlers, like I say, a goals per minute in the NHL leader, along with Kyle Connor, above Kyle Connor in the top 20 of the National Hockey League, watching his minutes flounder below um, a winger like, say, Blake Wheeler, who's a good hockey player but does not have that same impact. I mean, if you can, if we can point to it and they can feel it and they can point to all of the re- things that they're not doing that give themselves a better chance to win, of course, some of that motivation, like Kyle Connor alluded to, would be an issue. Of course, there's going to be question marks about belief because they know what good is better than you or me do. They know, they feel it. They can, like, they've experienced that in a palpable way. And, I think, again, just going back to what you mentioned, the the quotes from some of these young guys uh, over the course of the weekend, I think what we're seeing is a recognition in these guys that that, that feeling that they know is simply not there. Well, and, and Dubois particularly yesterday, I mean, he was, uh, I mean, as low as low, you know, could sound after that game last night. And, you know, there was a number of things to take out and we played it a little earlier, but it was... You, 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 part of me thinks that maybe he was saying that they simply don't have the guns to go up against some of those other big teams. But he talked about, you know, what's fun about the game is is winning, is dominating. Some of those words that he came out that, let's face it, just has not really been part of the plan, or well, certainly maybe it was the plan. It hasn't been part of the product so far this season, um, which speaks to how far away the team is from, I think, certainly what the guys we've heard of believe and are capable of and have done in the past. Yeah, I think, like, because I don't personally believe that the Jets are so outgunned that they're unable to 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 hang with the Me best. Me neither. 
like the top half of the league or be a playoff caliber team at minimum. I don't believe that. But what we've heard from Pierre-Luc Dubois all season is he wants to, like he's talked about wanting the Winnipeg Jets to assert their game on other teams and to be the the to be playing so well and so committed and so tightly together that other teams have to game plan to them or respond to them. And I don't think that he's seeing Winnipeg assert itself on other teams. And, um, you know, whether whether what we saw yesterday was the reflection of just the realization playoffs are simply not going to happen. Maybe it's his first time he's spoken in a while. Um, certainly his his dominance has waned to good over the last few games as well. I would say this last stretch, too. So there may be some frustration from that. But the one constant in all of it, in all of his communication, which has been so good through media through through the season is this sense that Winnipeg is not playing in a way that it can assert its game on its opponents. And I think that comes not necessarily to the horses, because like like I said, I believe Winnipeg has them for the most part, but to the way they play, to the type of forecheck, to the speed that they uh, put together, to the way defense and forwards stay committed and tight together, or um, or stretch, whatever it is. I think that there's a sense that Winnipeg doesn't have a clear sense of where they need to be at any given moment. They can't necessarily count on every single player to be in the right spot at any given moment. So that clockwork part of, of, of Winnipeg Jets hockey, we haven't seen that. And for whatever reason, Huss, I want to take you to a Ben Chirac conversation that I had uh, a few years ago. This was 2018 in the midst of the Winnipeg Jets being one of the best teams in the National Hockey League. It was just a one-on-one conversation. We were talking. He was getting prepared for the playoffs. And... What he said that Winnipeg did well at that time and needed to do and keep doing well was knowing where everyone was going to be so perfectly well with such consistency, with such accountability that they never had to think and they had full faith in their systems to simply execute what has always worked. I don't think that these Winnipeg Jets today in the not nearly as good as one of the best teams in the league era know where everybody's going to be. I don't think they have that faith. I don't think that they have the belief based on the results that they've seen. Uh, one more before we get to the piece on Josh Morrissey. There's five games left, one more roadie, and then, uh, you know, four games at home next week. What are you looking for in these final four, four five games? And, and what what positive can come out of these final five games for the Winnipeg Jets as opposed to just being five games that you have to play before you get the hell out of here and make a tea time? For me, I mean, two things. One, I've talked about it a little bit, so I'll try not to rail against it or rail at it too hard. Um, These young guys, these prime-aged, mid-20s guys who have stepped forward and said important things, perhaps in some of their cases for the first time. I mean, a year ago, Kyle Connor wasn't talking this candidly. And I think that's a real meaningful step in his development as a person, as a player, as as a leader within the Winnipeg Jets uh, organization. I think that's a special thing that's happening. Same with Nikolai Ehlers, Josh Morrissey throughout the line, Pierre-Luc Dubois. But then if you're going to say those things, you have to deliver. You have to be the change that you want to see in the locker room or on the on the ice, so to speak, to completely butcher the famous quote. Um, and I think that what we've seen, especially because they did play pretty well structurally against New York yesterday, I mean, from what I was able to tell, Um, I think that that's an important thing. If these guys are going to step up and speak, they're going to need to follow it up with that exact same commitment that they're looking for. And even if they don't get the wins, even if they don't flirt with that playoff cut line ever again, because they could be eliminated as soon as tonight, that shows a standard. And when Kyle Connor talks about it's never too soon to start building culture, that will show a standard of what the culture should be heading into next season. And hopefully they can take meaning from that. 
The second thing that I would love to see is a recognition from the top down, whether this is Dave Lowry, Kevin Sheveldayoff, whoever has the power in this situation, to acknowledge that they're a point from being eliminated from the Stanley Cup playoffs and their fate has been more or less sealed for an extended period of time. So why is Dylan Sandberg in the press box? Why are veterans playing every available game? Why did Ville Hainala miss so many games to play? I mean, there may not be a tremendous amount of developmental value in five games at the end of a season, but I think symbolically, I think to those players, the message that you're sending, that you are part of the future, that you can be part of the change that moves the Winnipeg Jets forward, and then return them to the Manitoba Moose for what should be an important playoff run at the AHL level. I think that we've missed an opportunity yet again to see what these guys can do. And even if they're not winning games by themselves, that's not necessarily the point, but to progressively integrate them into the fabric of the team that presumably they'll help compete for the playoffs next season and forward. Murat Atesh of The Athletic is with us on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Murat, we've spent a lot of time this year talking about Josh Morrissey. And listen, I think Kyle Connor is likely the team MVP, but I'll tell you what, close behind, I think, is Josh Morrissey. The bounce back season that he's had. Um, and we all knew at the beginning of the year that last year was a real trying year for him, um, losing his father. Um, your piece, and again, I'll point it, I pointed it out at the beginning. It's in The Athletic right now. Josh Morrissey's hardest loss how cherished moments with dying father transformed Jet Star. Uh, first off, congratulations. It's a really powerful piece of writing. I think you did an amazing job on it. And I'll say this, I mean, to Josh himself, I mean, to be able to be that open, um, I think really gives a lot of people uh, a window into the young man that he is, the person that he is, um, and, and the leader that he's coming, uh, he's turning into. How did it all come to be? How did, how did you make this happen? And uh, tell us a little bit about putting this together because I know you spent a lot of time and a long time working on it. Yeah, I definitely spent, uh, put the time in. I, I guess I, we, I teased it with you in the past uh, as it was getting closer and closer. Uh, so thank you for that. Um, and thank you for the kind word. And also before the, the nuts and bolts of it, I mean, just like you said, Josh Morrissey shines in this piece his emotional intelligence, his openness, his willingness to quote unquote, go there, spend time in those places um, to, to share things that he had never shared in some cases. Some of those moments have, are in the Jets locker room after a tough loss. He's on the phone with his dad. I mean, at the end of, at the end of last year's playoffs, these are, these are scenes we haven't seen before. And it takes, it takes real courage, vulnerability, emotional awareness and, and strength, I think, to, to have the conversation that, that Josh did. And, and so it shines, I think, because of that. Um, and then in terms of how, how the piece came together, I mean, you know, I had, I had learned, like many of us had, that, that Josh Morrissey's dad, Tom, had died of cancer at the end of last summer. I, I honestly think the first place that I'd heard about it was maybe a, a Mike McIntyre piece or, or something to that effect. And um, I, so I knew that it had happened. And then when I got to camp, my first note, my literal first thought was, my goodness, Josh Morrissey looks fast, right? And we can go back to September and we're talking and, you know, I came on the show and I had written this thing saying, you know what, whatever Don Lushishin says, whatever the analytics have been for the last couple of seasons, I'm seeing something. This guy has, has really put together an explosiveness of speed. There's something he's going to have a strong season. I've, I've seen it. And so that that thread continued. Josh continued to have a, a, a really strong season performance-wise. I think everybody was aware of that. I think Josh is well aware of that as well. Um, and so 
it was one of the road trips, uh, February, maybe where I just reached out, uh, through the team and, you know, through Scott Brown, I believe it was, um, yeah, it was Scott. And, uh, and you just asked if we could talk about the year because I saw the transformation and I wondered maybe how, what Josh had gone through on a personal note would, would be impacting it or how he's feeling about that. And, you know, to again to his credit he was game like completely game there was no arm twisting there was you know what yeah like we can talk about this um and then when we got into the call that became the two-hour honest to goodness heart to heart i mean like i felt some stuff he you know he shared some real good stuff and i think so did i to be honest it was two it was two people talking um he was he was a really great leader in terms of making space to talk about all of it as well well, I mean, you know, there, there's so much to get into from it. I mean, I think it makes that, uh, you know, at, listen, I texted you afterwards. I wrote it and I said I needed to dry the eyes before uh, getting the phone into my hand uh, because it was powerful and it makes you think about your own relationships, your own path to certain spots, um, you know, how important certain people, especially your parents, have been in your lives. The one piece, that, you know, from it that, that was, um, you know, really impactful, I think, to me on the first read was you know what Josh had been going through through the playoffs and the incredible disappointment of losing to the Montreal Canadiens because I mean not only was there an end of uh, era of finality to you know a missed opportunity and you know your season being over um, but in all likelihood that might have been the last time his dad was going to uh, going to see him play and I mean the way you described him sitting in that locker room um, you know and unable to take off his equipment or an extended, extended period of time, um, I think spoke to what was weighing on him. And, um, you know, and all of that was because of the, you know, the, the impact that he knew was going to come from, you know, the team being out of the playoffs and, you know, the potentially his last post-game conversation with his dad. Yeah. I mean, he, he sat there in his equipment and taking, taking off the equipment, making the change was going to make that game final and he wasn't ready to do it yet. The thing that struck me about that is how, how alone he must have felt in it um, it's because not everybody on the team knew the, the guys that did Blake Wheeler for sure. Mark Shifley knew as well. And I think some of the upper leadership as well knew, I believe Mark Chipman as well. So there's a few key points, but Josh Morrissey, he didn't want to make uh, what he was going through a distraction. So in that moment when he's breaking down and in, in his dressing room stall at um, in Montreal, I think that, he could have been made to feel so very alone in his pain. I mean, a lot of his teammates would have looked at it, looked at that and probably just thought it was, I mean, the emotions of losing a playoff series in four straight games in overtime, which would be enough in a lot of cases. Um, but he knew that it was likely that was the last uh, post-game conversation he would ever have. So the fact that Blake Wheeler saw that and came over to him and basically forced a hug on him, like hugged him, held him close. Josh said he kind of tried to squirm away uh, and then sort of settled into it. They hugged. I think the word Morrissey used was minutes. You know, time goes by and Blake tells him he'll be so proud of you. That is a special moment. That is a special bit of leadership. And then for everybody to clear out and for Josh to call his dad that one more time, that is, I mean... I'm so glad for him that he had a moment like that. Post-game calls were part of what they did for him to go out and look out over the ice and have had some time to prepare, but nobody can prepare for a moment like that. 
And for the messages that he exchanged, he talks about the gratitude. We achieved our NHL dream. I mean, between father and son, that's as personal, as direct, and as honest as you could possibly be. I mean, just like you, I check in with myself and my own life when I hear guys talk like that. Yeah, and uh, and you know, you mentioned Wheeler, and, and I'll say this about about Blake. Um, you know, yeah, there's a cantankerous relationship with the media at times, and sometimes that comes off bad. And and listen, that's on him. I mean, that is on him. Um, but we and I have talked a lot about you know this team, and we you know we use that catchphrase, the leadership and the leadership group. And I'm not dismissing any of the things we've talked about. I mean, we know where the team's at this season, and uh, there's a lot of things that have played into that. But that scene afterwards showed, and you just mentioned it, I mean, being there for a teammate, being there for a friend, and in some ways, as a veteran player in that room that's been there that long, um, you know, it was, a, it, it was a fascinating look at, you know, some of the reasons why people speak so highly of Blake as a leader and a guy that's been such a big part of this team for a long time. And yeah, we can get mad about what's happening and the losses and certain shifts and not making certain plays. Um, but I think if people are wondering, you know, how Blake has become the the leader of this team and been that guy for as long. Uh, I'm not sure there's a better example of it than uh, what you had in your piece with Josh. Yeah, I think that, I mean, so multiple things can be true. He can be a bit crotchety sometimes in the media and he can show up for his teammate. And I think that in a lot of ways, he was the only person in that room who could show up for Morrissey in the way that he did. One, because he's one of a select few group of people who knew uh, who even had the opportunity as well. And then, I mean, if you're Mark Shifley, you're more of a peer to Josh Morrissey. They're similar ages and they're, they're friends to be sure and close to be sure, but that's a different sort of note. And for Wheeler to recognize an opportunity, I want to call it, to, to see a need and then fill the need to step up. I mean, that's showing up for somebody who you, for who you care about, who means something to you. And that can be and is a tremendously valuable meaningful thing there may be more examples of this that we don't get to see and i'm certain blake wheeler just like josh says in the piece would hate to have that story told and at the same time he can be curmudgeonly and maybe you know he's told me before he didn't love how how prickly he was with patrick liney this season before or what have you as well so i mean nobody is perfect but this was an extremely important moment for Morrissey and Wheeler stepped up. And I, I, I agree with you. That's a meaningful, real thing that I think we all probably wish we'd have the courage and strength to offer in a moment like that. Murad Atesh of The Athletic is with us. The uh, piece is on the site right now. It's called Josh Morrissey's Hardest Loss, with Cherished Moments with Dying Father Transformed Jet Star. Uh, one of the other things, and I, and I this is... You know, obviously people, I mean, I've never really been a writer or done anything like that before other than just very small things. But, you know, traditionally you'd work on a piece like this and it would be out in a newspaper and it would be, you know, you would read it. What's interesting about the ability with the technology at a place like The Athletic is, you know, you can throw in a whole whack load of pictures that Josh provided. And, you know, the one thing that really, really impacted me reading it is uh, was the video of his dad getting onto the ice at that barn that he'd been training in. And, you know, you detail it quite well, but I mean, all of this was also happening during, you know, the height of the pandemic with the biggest fears before vaccines were there. And, um, you know, what Josh had to go through during all that time to, 
you know, hopefully help out his father, but also give him time with that dad, keeping him away from pretty much everything else, I think was also a big part of what weighed on him so much over the course of the previous couple of seasons until his passing. Absolutely, yes. I mean, you know, the the story as written opens in that locker room deep within uh, the uh, deep within the Jets dressing room in Montreal. Um, but that's the end of last season's playoffs. We know that the fall of the season, the fall of the year going up into that was was pandemic interrupted. So Josh Morrissey wasn't in Winnipeg. It wasn't a normal season. He was in Calgary area and he was working out at home for weights and things like that. And he was working out on this sort of quarter sheet of ice uh, um, that his friend set up for him in a barn. And the reason he was doing that was because, I mean, certainly day to day testing wasn't you know, uh, all over the place. Vaccines weren't rolled out yet at that point as well. And he had a dad going through chemotherapy and, and all of the things that that would do to a body and all the things that all the ways that that would make you immunocompromised. So Josh Morrissey's rearranging his life, his training, his preparation, just so he can continue to find ways to to be there for his dad, do certain things his dad wasn't able to do and spend time together. So in the context of in the context of all that, I mean, you think Josh thought of his dad as, you know, the one who never needed help, the one who would go to the ends of the world for his two sons, uh, the one who was the strong one who would bear the burden of everything. And to see that transformation um, to, to needing to provide care would certainly have been tough, but it meant so much to him. And like you say in, in that video, that fall on a day that, that Tom Morrissey was feeling particularly well, um, he strapped on the skates, picked up his left-handed stick. Josh is also a left-handed shooter. And he and the boys skated around at that barn. They passed pucks for hours. They shot. They just played hockey, which was something they had shared so often from start, you know, from the beginning of Josh Morrissey pushing a chair around the ice and outdoor Calgary ice. And so they were just able to experience that joy in that rink. And to have a clip of that, I mean, my goodness, thank you to Josh Morrissey for sharing that because you can hear Josh cheer on his dad and you can hear his dad say, man, it's been a while since I've done this, but he's also, he looks pretty good. I mean, like he, he buries into the, into the net and, it, and he, to, to see that personal moment between father and son, so powerful, especially when you find out as you do that that turns out, and they didn't know it at the time, but that turns out to be the last time that they share a sheet of ice together. Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, as Jeff Kabila said in uh, in chat, I just about broke when I saw that video of his dad skating because you know how the story ends, um, but you know what a special moment is and, and how, and this also comes through it, I mean, between their relationship and Josh's path to the National Hockey League with his dad alongside every step of the way, I mean, um, you know, they basically achieved both of their dreams, but at the same time, all of that becomes somewhat secondary when we're talking about people being with you for a while. And I'll just say this, I'm, you know, we, you know, we heard the story, you know, about the fact that what Josh had been going through um, to see the way that he's played this year um, and, and both on and off the ice. I mean, the leader that he's turned into, um, I don't think there's any doubt that uh, Tom Morrissey's somewhere out looking very proudly down upon Josh. And um, as you mentioned, I mean, this is something that will always shape you and how you deal with them. Um, but it speaks to the person that he is for how he's 
you know, moved beyond this and, um, you know, and probably in some ways playing for his dad has turned him into um, a better leader and, um, you know, and a player that, you know, is a, a fan favorite here and a huge part of that hockey team he's on. Well, I mean, I, I don't know how to contextualize this properly, but for me, you know, a certain amount of life is what happens to you. A certain amount of life is what you do with what happens to you. And let's start with Tom Morrissey, a lifelong educator, masters of education, a basketball championship winning coach, a hockey coach, a teacher, you know, somebody who fundamentally taught, found lessons, imparted lessons, lifted up people around him. And he did that right through his diagnosis, right through the year that they had, right through those Stanley Cup playoffs, through that final call that they had post-game, through this couple of weeks that they had together after that as well, imparting wisdom, took a very difficult situation and found a way to keep teaching, keep supporting, keep putting his family first. And for Josh to prove that he is exactly of that same cloth, so to speak, to take a difficult situation and find the lessons in it, to admire the positivity of his dad, to use his dad's final lessons about go out there, do your best, enjoy the day-to-day, um, prepare yourself as best as you can, implement that in new training, commit himself to that in just an incredible way over the course of the season, and then to go forth and every single day play at an elevated level um, compared to what had come the, the previous season or two. I mean, that is a person taking a difficult situation and making the best of it. And I do agree with you, I'm getting emotional, but I mean, Tom Morrissey would be proud of that. I think we would all want our parents to feel that, th- that their lessons were successfully imparted and we were doing the best that we could with what they taught us. Marat, you're a great friend, and uh, I always appreciate and look forward to our conversations every week on this show. Um, and, you know, we get into a lot of the minutia of wins and losses and uh, the ups and downs of what fans, you know, are, are coming to. But this, um, I'll be honest, this is uh, uh, just, I, I mean, a wonderful work. It's a thanks to you, certainly to Josh for telling the story and opening up the way he is. And uh, tell you what, and I think we're seeing in the comments right now, it puts a lot of perspective of uh, what we talk about every day here on this program about what's really important in life. And um, tell you what, um, the Winnipeg Jets, this community, lucky to have a young man like Josh Morrissey on the team. And uh, I thought you did a, just a, a great way of telling the story about, um, you know, the impact of his dad, what he's been through and uh, the young man he's turned into. So uh, cheers to you, my friend. Uh, amazing work. And um, we'll get back to, talking about analytics or whatever the hell we'll talk about next week (laughs) sounds so good thanks for the conversation thanks for yeah thanks for everything man appreciate you at wpg marat folks if you haven't already get to the athletic if you're not a subscriber um well this is uh this is what you're missing um i will uh i don't often say things are must read this is a must read and uh there's some great work by marat and i think it speaks uh a lot about Josh Morrissey that he would open up like that. Um, and and not to mention just, you know, what he'd been going through over the course of the last couple seasons, leading to an incredible bounce back year for him in the uh, in the memory of his father. It's there at The Athletic. Uh, all right. Uh, we are going to be talking to Wade Davis, and I'll fill you in on that in just a second. We want to give a big cheers to our friends at Breezy Bend. I know 
their all-star greenskeeper and maintenance team is just waiting for this damn snow to get out so they can get some tarps off and get people on the course. Uh, what a great spot for you and your family golfing home. Uh, I do have a waiting list right now, but I would suggest if you're thinking about making Breezy Bend a home for you, talk to Corey Johnson, find out more online at breezybend.ca. Uh, incredible improvements to the golf course over the last couple of years during COVID. While it has been very busy, clubhouse, patio as well, not to mention great junior programs, um, women's nights and women's programs as well, really is a great spot for the entire family. Just past the perimeter out in Headingley, breezybend.ca. Um, our friends at Not Auto Corp are ready for spring. Many people thinking about getting into an electric vehicle. If you'd like to learn more about what a Tesla is all about, how you charge it, what it's like to drive, the differences from electric to traditional vehicles. Talk to the experts at Nod about getting involved in the Tesla experience. And hey, whether you're thinking about an electric vehicle or a traditional one, why not get into the car of your dreams at a great price with the help of the Knot team? Pop down and see them at Waverly and McGilvery or find out more online at Knot.ca. And a big cheers to the gang down at Little Brown Jug. Listen, the weather is going to be coming up. We're going to be on the patio sooner or later. And at that point, we'll be cheersing each other with Winnipeg's and Manitoba's favorite local beer, the world-famous 1919 from Little Brown Jug. You can pick it up at your local beer store, liquor store, along with all of the Little Brown Jug offerings, or pop down and see them at the Brew House at Brewery and Tap Room on William Avenue. And of course, you can also order online at littlebrownjug.ca and they'll deliver it citywide Wednesdays, Fridays, and Saturdays, all there at littlebrownjug.ca. All right, I want to get Remus in here for a second. Um, you know, Remo, that was uh, that was a heavy conversation with Marat, but I kind of sort of knew, I mean, the minute I read that, I mean, it was a real, real powerful piece. And, um, you know, it's not often you have the opportunity to sort of peel back the layers of uh, uh, of athletes right now, especially on this team, to be honest with you. And, the frankness and openness that Josh Morrissey spoke to with Marat and the way he told that story was um, uh, was something, as I said at the end, it sort of does put a lot of what we're talking about every day into perspective here. Yeah, what a piece that was to read. Um, can't believe he spoke with uh, Josh for two hours. He mentioned, um, you know, the pictures and the video of him skating in the barn with his dad brought a lot of context to the story for sure. And you know, last year, all season, we were talking about, uh, you know, how Josh, you know, wasn't playing the, like the way that we had seen him play in the past. And, and I think it makes a lot of sense, you know, with what he was going through emotionally, but also just what he was doing for training, skating by himself because he didn't want to, he wanted to make sure his dad was safe and didn't want to expose himself potentially to, uh, to the virus. So. Um, you know, you've seen him this year and you could tell in preseason and I was speaking with Murad and he's just told me how Josh was ripping one timers. And I could tell right away that his shot looked different and, and he's hit career highs, uh, this season for goals. And I mean, he's having, having a great year as we've said. And, um, yeah, it was just great, you know, an, fantastic to read about, um, the story, but at the same time, you know, seeing a lot of, um, emotions in the chat, maybe more so than we have uh, on a regular day here. Yeah, no doubt. Well, and you know what? Our, our next story is going to be, I mean, a little bit different, but it certainly has some of the same lines and it's about loss and it's about dealing with cancer. Uh, but, you know, people that remember 
what we were doing at the beginning of um, this little run through doing sports talk radio. Gary and I started the show and went over to OB. I want to say in 09, we started the, the, the show daily. And at that point, there was, um, you know, a couple big events, um, you know, in the memory of Todd Davison, who is a uh, young Winnipeg product, very talented young player, went to the Western Hockey League along with his brother, Wade, um, and then battled cancer for over two years before ultimately passing in 2006. And you know, I remember having Wade on the program and, you know, the way he spoke about his brother and the hockey stories that he had. I mean, you really felt the loss, but you also felt how loved this young man was. And, um, you know, the events, you remember there was the big summer sizzler. They had the game down at the, the well, the, at the then MTS Center with a number of NHLers coming in to, you know, raise a ton of money for cancer charities in, in Todd's name. And, you know, obviously that was a while ago. Things change, you know, you move on. Um, but Wade, Todd's brother, um, who's now down in California, has um, put together his first ever book. Uh, and it is called His Last Shift, The Playbook of Todd Davison. Um, and Remus, just before we uh, we we bring Wade in, um, this has just launched. You were telling me it's number one on a number of charts right now on Amazon, um, and it's an incredibly great deal for the ebook that's coming out right now at just like a buck and a quarter, I believe. Yeah, Wade uh, put out a deal um, just for launch, uh, three days only. It's only a dollar twenty-five on ebooks. If you have a Kindle or you have a tablet or a phone, and you can get the Kindle app and get this for a dollar. 25 and it's a bestseller right now on Amazon sports biographies sports um I can I can bring it up here so um, you know yeah I had remember hearing the story as well and, and it took it seemed like you know we'll talk with Wade it took a while but it's finally out in uh, in book form his last shift the playbook of Todd Davison well let's uh, let's do that right now as I said it's the playbook of Todd Davison his last last shift through hockey cancer and the journey beyond himself uh, and the uh, the author is Wade Davison and uh, Wade joins us now on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily Wade man great to catch up again thanks for doing this how are you thank you fellas appreciate being here appreciate having me on I'm doing great um, you know, it's been it's been a long time, and uh, this is obviously something uh, that you know was incredibly important to you. We know how um, you know close you and your brother were back from growing up on the rinks here in Winnipeg, playing together in the Western Hockey League. You know, before we talk about this project and do it, maybe for folks that are unfamiliar with um, growing up here, your hockey path that was so intrinsically linked with your younger brother. Um, just tell people about Todd and, uh, you know, that uh, up until that point when you guys were playing junior hockey and, you know, he found out what his battle was. Yeah, so we grew up in North Kildonan in Winnipeg, uh, Gateway Flyers right from the jump. We were just the ultimate rink rats on the outdoor rink as, as much as we could be, street hockey as much as we could, uh, mini stick basement battles, uh, but we just loved hockey. We grew up the, with the game together and all we wanted to do was play hockey. Like if we weren't playing, we were watching Rock'em Sock'em or Hockey Night in Canada. And we were just obsessed kids. Uh, but Todd got really good really fast. And, you know, a lot of people know him. He was just like this small, feisty player, but he was so incredibly talented. And I got to see it all from the, right beside him. So um, as, you know, watching him grow up and develop as a five, six, seven-year-old player, you know, he really started hitting his game at about 11 years old, playing for the, the River East Marauders, uh, led them to a city championship. The next year he got selected to Team North America, which traveled to Europe. And he just dominated over there. And then the following season, he played age advanced Pee Wee AAA. The next year, he played his own age Pee Wee AAA and won the MVP over Cam Barker, who went you know, third overall behind only Ovechkin and Malkin. 
And then from then on out, uh, we played midget AAA together, had a great season with the Winnipeg Sharks. Uh, almost, we made it to the regional finals. We lost in, in that final championship, but we, we would have given uh, Sidney Crosby a run for his money at the midget AAA championship there. But after that season, we broke into the Western League together, which was an incredible, incredible thing in itself. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we had just an awesome, awesome uh, hockey career that I got to see. But um, I got to see his, him in action right beside him. Well, and, and, you know, it really is so cool. And I mean, I remember, you know, meeting you for the first time and speaking about his life. And I mean, just how special that would have been for two young guys that had, you know, had big hockey dreams your entire life playing together against each other for both you and your brother and your family to have you guys as teammates in the Western League. Um, I mean, what a magical year that would have been. Yeah, that was awesome. It, it was, you know, it was unexpected in a lot of ways, but uh, we were so thankful and fortunate to break into that league you know, together and have our parents be able to, you know, make trips to Regina, have family around and just an incredible situation for us. Well, it was a pretty magical run, but as we, uh, you know, unfortunately find out at times through our lives, life isn't uh, always just a, uh, you know, one green light after another. And uh, he was faced with, uh, you know, the challenge of his life. What do you remember about finding, you know, the news of what Todd was dealing with, Um, you know, because this was an incredibly healthy, talented young guy and it was something in his shoulder. I mean, you kind of thought that it was somewhat of a hockey injury. I mean, take us back, you know, to finding that out and uh, what Todd went through as he battled. Yeah. So when he broke into the Western League at 16, he was only five foot six, 160 pounds. That was just a league full of beasts. It was loaded with talent. Um, Later that season, he ended up playing for Team Manitoba at the Canada Games and he was having a great tournament. He was finding his, you know, finding his skill again, finding his ice. Uh, and he was going head to head with guys like Crosby. You know, he played Crosby head up. Crosby had two goals, one assist. Todd had one goal, one assist. And he was doing great. But he took a hit in that tournament. And he came off the ice and he told my parents after, like, hey, something's not right in my shoulder. It's not feeling great. But everyone was just kind of like, oh, it's, you know, probably just a hockey injury, just something, you know, just give it time to heal up. We, he comes back to Regina, tells the trainers. And everyone was just kind of confused, like, we don't know what it is, kid. Um, you know, we'll see you next season type thing. Next season comes along and it just was not getting better. It was getting worse by the day. That sophomore year in training camp, uh, he was having a really tough time battling. He was having a lot of pain in his shoulder. Uh, and, but he just didn't have any answers and no one had any answers for him. So fast forward to his game dropping, you know, and he just wasn't, didn't have that feistiness that he used to have. His oxygen levels, they were dropping down. I, I saw him in some pretty rough states. And we were all just very confused about what was happening in his body, but there was no broken bones. There was no, you know, any, any, nothing was coming up diagnostically that anyone could find. So we ended up getting released from the Pats um, that season. And we played in, in the Alberta Junior Hockey League for Lloydminster Blazers. But at the end of that season, he was training with some great guys. He was training with Focus Fitness, uh, Jeff Wood, Glenn Carnegie, and working out hard. But anytime he would do things like bench press or something else, like, that was putting his shoulder in an awkward position, he would feel these electrical shocks. And eventually my mom, who was an MRI tech at the Health Sciences Center, brought him in one day on her lunch break. There was a gap in the schedule. She brought him in and very quickly found that that shoulder pain always just misses a hockey injury was in fact a rare and aggressive form of cancer uh, that developed two tumors in the shoulder. Um, Wade Davison's with us. He is the author of the playbook of Todd Davison, his last shift. I mean, you find that and one of the things, I mean, you know, when we celebrated Todd's life and heard stories from yourself and so many other players around the events was 
you know, the young man that he was and the way that he battled, his attitude as he went through. And how much, I mean, when maybe you can just tell us what the impetus was in addition to, you know, preserving the memory of your younger brother in writing this book, because it certainly does seem like anyone that's ever talked about Todd, their engagement with him, whether they were a teammate, whether they were someone that just, um, you know, was a friend of theirs, um, you know, his incredible spirit. And I imagine that's a big, big part of why, uh, why you put this book together. Yeah, that was a huge part of it. The, re- the big thing was with Todd is he was an incredibly talented hockey player, but he was an incredible person. And he just found a way to light up any room he was in, uh, whether it was with his team or his friends or family. He, f- he had a spark about him that I thought was rare. And seeing him as a person, I just knew there were some stories to his life that were so powerful that people could appreciate and, and could learn from of seeing how this person lived their life despite having daunting circumstances. You know, a lot of a lot of people when they get a cancer diagnosis, I, I presume would shut down and they, and they would, you know, having a real tough time uh, waking up and, and living their life. But Todd just found a way to get up every day and live an empowered life in the face of you know, chaos and fear. Really. Um, when did you start the book? Um, at what point did you realize, you know, what this is something that I really want to do? And tell us about the process of putting it together. So, like we said, he passed in 2006, and, and a few years after, the Believe in the Goal events were happening. There was a big event in 2009 at the MTS Center that was loaded with NHLers, and everyone had this idea about Todd as a hockey player and Believe in the Goal, but I knew there was, there was so much more to his life that I wanted to share. So, you know, in my head in those years, I was kind of putting together stories and seeing what I could do to tie them all together to create a, a story in a book. And then eventually, in about 2012, 2013, I would actually mm-hmm. take out an old notebook and just pen in hand start writing stories down one by one and at the at the start it was very tough i'd write maybe a paragraph or a page or two and i would just be absolutely tapped and emotionally drained but eventually i just kept up that process and then in 2018 i had some time where i devoted every day for a stretch of three or four months three four five hours a day just sitting in front of a computer and typing up these stories so i always knew it was something i wanted to do i didn't realize how much time and work it would take Um, but we are finally here and I'm so pumped to finally share it with the world. Well, it's exciting. I mean, it's number one on a number of charts right now at Amazon. It's available now for people as an ebook as well. Um, But I do wonder, you know, Todd, or Wade, when we speak about Todd and your family and your story and your background, so much of it is connected to the sport of hockey. I mean, uh, you know, that was your guys' lives for, for, you know, many, many years, like so many of the young Winnipeg guys. I imagine the book, though, is a lot more about, um, you know, just what a great player he was. I mean, uh, it's so much more about the person and many things that probably have little to do with the sport. Yeah, you know, it's the, it's, the book is framed uh, through the lens of, of a hockey player living a hockey life, but it really is not a hockey story through my eyes. It's really a story of a, the human spirit, the power of, of a person to be able to live life with courage and, and bravery that we all can relate to. So it's... You know, the start, the start of the book talks about his career and goes through, you know, his accomplishments and accolades as a player, but then getting into his diagnosis and his two and a half years before he passed after diagnosis, I think that's where the real power comes from. And those are the stories I'm most excited about. What, what stood out to you? I mean, as, as a brother, as uh, it was someone that I'm sure he leaned on and talked to every day through what he was going on, what stands out about what you learned about your brother during that time where he was battling cancer, as opposed to what you'd learned from him on the ice as a teammate, this guy you were probably going head to head with more than anyone in your entire life growing up. You know, he just had this inner drive to not let the world beat him down. And he, and as much as his, as the circumstances were daunting, his body was crumbling down around him. He was losing his physical strength. He was losing 
he was losing his external world, really. And eventually it got to the point where the doctor said, hey, you know, we, there's nothing more we can do for you. You are going to pass. You're, you're going to die. And uh, seeing his reaction to that, he had this belief in himself, one, that he was going to challenge, challenge the disease as much as he could and fight his way through it. Uh, but he also just found this, this inner power where he realized, okay, he's not going to be a professional hockey player. He's not going to, he might not make it a few more years, but with each day he was given, he's going to wake up and found a way, find a way to find joy, find love and, and create that in the world and just do his best to, you know, make his days and, and make the world a better place. You know what? Losing, uh, losing, I mean, any family member, but especially a sibling that you were so close to can be devastating for someone. You mentioned that attitude and what he showed from his diagnosis until his passing. How much did that in his spirit help you um, not necessarily move on, but deal with it and, um, you know, go and do all the exciting things that you're now doing with your life? Well, man, I, I think about him every day. And anytime I go, you know, get a little down or, or I, I see the challenges in my life, I just automatically think of him and what he went through. And it was so, it was exponentially worse than anything I'm dealing with. So it's just, I am constantly pulling from his spirit. You know, I have his name tattooed over my heart and every day in the mirror, I look at it and see it and just try to wait, find a way to channel a little bit of, of who he was. And then also just talking to people, you know, when they're sharing stories of, of how great of a guy he was and, you know, how much, how much love and laughter he brought to their lives. I try to bring that in and say, how, how can I change my life? How can I change my attitude, my days to be a little more like him to, to live that empowered life and, and create uh, you know, more happiness in the world. Wade Davison's with us. The book is the, uh, his last shift, the playbook of Todd Davison. Um, what's the response been so far early on since, uh, since the launch? You know, it, it's been great so far. I have overwhelming support from friends, friends around the world. Uh, the people that have read the book, I've given a few people sneak peeks, NHLers, hockey guys in Winnipeg, people that have nothing to do with hockey, and they've, they've all loved it. They, they said, you know, obviously it's a very challenging read, there's a lot of tears, but there's also laughter. And it's, it, there's something about it that is bringing out a inner power within people who've read it. So I've, you know, I, I don't want to pump my own tires too much, but I've had nothing but great responses to it. And I'm so, I'm so happy that I'm finally able to share these stories with people and they can finally actually pick the book up, read it and see the power that this person was and, you know, hopefully bring it into their own lives and, and have it impact them that way. Wade, fill us in on uh, how people can uh, pick it up. I know it's available on ebook, but uh, just give people the uh, the full list of options into how they go and uh, read about Todd's life and uh, his legacy. So right now it's available on Amazon across the world, ebook, paperback, and hardcover. Soon to be released audiobook about a month or two away. Uh, but you know, quick download on an ebook is is great. You know, you can have, you can have easy access to it right away. Paperback shipping pretty quickly. Um, but Amazon's the best place to start right now. Hopefully I'm going to have it in some brick and mortar bookstores in the coming future. Um, but Amazon's easy, man. I'll tell you what, I mean, if you're ever going to do, uh, you know, getting into the bookstores and, uh, do some sort of a signing, I think, you know, the city, you got to be coming back to do that. And I, I think Absolutely. the response for it will be, it will be amazing. Listen, I mean, you're not in Winnipeg anymore. And you've probably got a lot of friends or people that know you or cross paths with you. Give us a little update on, uh, on Wade Davison, how your life's going and uh, where you're at. Things are good. I'm down in San Diego. I've been here for 40 years now, living with my wife. Uh, we, we love Southern California. Definitely missing home a little bit. Um, but yeah, just uh, working my way, spending, spending, I practiced law for the last six years, seven years, is primi primarily as a trial lawyer, but um, taking a little break here in the last month or so just to put all my energy into, the, into this book and making sure I give it the launch it deserves and the energy it deserves. So that's what I'm doing, uh, golfing when I can. And yeah, just living, man.
Well, listen, it is great to have you on the program. And uh, you mentioned energy. I mean, that was something that everybody, um, it was synonymous with Todd and, uh, you know, his energy obviously living through you. And I think people will get a great taste of it. And, and um, you know, the, uh, you know, the incredible impact he made on so many people and how he dealt with the greatest adversity of life in uh, the book, His Last Shift. Wade, all the best to you. And uh, listen, when you do get back to Winnipeg, let's get together. We'll have you back on and uh, certainly let us know any other ways that we can help you uh, promote this, uh, this important story about someone that, uh, you know, touched so many here in Winnipeg. Well, that would be awesome. I'll, I'll definitely be hitting you guys up when I'm back in the peg and, Thank you so much for having me on and letting me have the opportunity to talk about Todd's story. Oh, man. Thanks again to Wade for joining us today on Winnipeg Sports Talk, folks. Uh, grab the book. Uh, as I said, incredible three-day sale, kicking things off. Check it out on Amazon and uh, get the promo and the ebook for just a buck twenty-five. Highly recommended. And um, we just got our hands on it. I'm looking forward to tearing into that one over the next few days. And on the weekend, um, but as I said, I mean, just a great, I mean, Wade, uh, what a great interview he was. And <clears throat> to do that, the work that it takes to go in to write an entire book in the memory of Todd, um, uh, it's, uh, it was really cool. And as, as Leslie Michnook said, this is the waterworks show. We cried with Rennie about the Jets, then with Murata about Josh, and now with Wade and his brother Todd. Um, you know what, it's been a different show for sure today, but, you know, I'm, and I think we... Uh, as I said uh, at the end of our um, little bit with a uh, conversation with Marat, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, days like today, conversations like today, maybe put into perspective uh, some of the things that are uh, frustrating. People are getting them down, uh, maybe a little more trivial than uh, that we like. That being said, that's where we live here in the toy department of life, talking sports on WST. We are going to lighten it up, though. We, I'm very much looking forward to talking about this next story with Michael Remus. Uh, before we do that, a big cheers to our friends at Princess Auto. Hey, Bomber fans, the Princess Auto Great Cup Tour is continuing this weekend. It's been all over the province. And this week, if you want to check out the Great Cup, get some pics with the kids, you can do that at both Princess Auto locations. So Saturday, April 23rd, it's at the 515 Panet Road Store from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. And on Sunday, April 24th, the Portage Avenue location, 3220, or sorry, 3292 Portage Avenue. Pop by, check out the Grey Cup, and uh, hopefully we'll be doing another Princess Auto Grey Cup tour next year around the same time for a three-peat. Cannot wait for bomber season uh, and a CFL draft coming up soon. Of course, Princess Auto will be sponsoring the pregame tailgate area for bomber games this season. Cannot wait to get back to IG Field. Of course, you can visit Princess Auto at either of their two locations in Winnipeg, whether you're visiting for the Grey Cup on the weekend or otherwise, and you can shop online 24-7 at princessauto.com. Uh, our friends at Boston Pizza, ready for you tonight and any night at your local BP. No better place to get together and watch the game. The big game tonight is a must-win for the Toronto Raptors. We'll talk about that in a minute with Remo. And, of course, if you are spending some time at home, don't want to make it out, Check out bostonpizza.com, all their great game day deals, and you can order online at bostonpizza.com as well. And if you're not thinking pizza, uh, you know what? I'm always thinking burgers, and the new stack burgers at DQ are incredible. The Nicky Nicky DQ group ready for you to try those incredible new burgers and get your hands on one of those great Blizzard treats as well. DQ Northgate, DQ Niverville, DQ Polo Park, and DQ St. Anne's are the Nick and Nicky DQs. 
And if you do want to get a cake for an upcoming event, just hit them up on Instagram at DQ Manitoba. They'll get it ready for you however you want. You can pick it up quick and easy at any of the four Nick and Nikki DQ locations. And uh, hey, I'm looking forward to catching up with our pal James from Canadian Club a little later on today, Remo. I think I might get my hands on a few of those new CC and ginger ale ready to drink cocktails that are available wherever you get your, well, at your Manitoba Liquor Marts or at beer stores as well. And if you are at a Manitoba Liquor Marts and picking up Canadian Club, you will get a free can to try with any purchase. And by the way, pick, uh, keep your eyes out for those Canadian Club displays because the 1750 mLs are on sale all month long. Friday, our next marble race will have some great prizing from our friends at Canadian Club. So make sure you join us on Friday afternoon. All right, Remo, I mentioned that Raptor game. We'll get to that in a minute when we get into the cool bet lines. Um, but as I said, we were going to lighten it up a little bit. And one of the more bizarre sports related lawsuits I have ever heard of broke today by Helene St. James in the Detroit Free Press. Buckle up and get ready for this one, folks. Ex-Detroit Red Wings Zamboni driver Al Sabotka fired for peeing into drain. And there is now a lawsuit that has laid bare the reason why Al's no longer driving the Zamboni for the Red Wings. Caught peeing into a drain and was seen by another employees. And Sabotka's lawyers state that he was discriminated against on basis of his age and disability. Um... This could be a landmark case when it comes to um, the uh, the sports world, Zamboni drivers, and what you do when you really, really have to go. Yeah, if what's being reported is true, and uh, this was a one-time thing, and he does have a medical condition, seems to me like uh, unfair dismissal, Huss. Um, look, sometimes, I mean, if you have a condition you have to go, he's going in a drain. I mean, if he was going in on the floor, in the corner, in front of everyone, then yeah. But it looked, sounds like it was an emergency. He had to go. He found the most reasonable place, a drain. It's all pipes going to the same places, I believe was the line George Costanza used on Seinfeld. So assuming there wasn't anything else shady going on here, I do stand <laughs> with, with Al Saboka. I mean... Yeah, if things, if, if things are, just to, just to clarify, I'll just get a couple details. According to the lawsuit, Savodka has been diagnosed with benign prostatic hypertrophy, hypertrophy, I might be butchering that name, which causes frequent and uncontrollable need to urinate. February 2nd, Sabotka drove one of the Zamboni machines into its garage at Little Caesars Arena after cleaning the ice. Sabotka, according to the lawsuit, experienced an uncontrollable urge to urinate. The nearest facility was 60 to 70 feet away. So instead, Sabotka used one of the drains that lead into a sewer designed to handle the ice runoff for Zamboni uh, machines. The area is closed to the public and access limited to the all-male uh, all crew. Sabotka was urinating between two Zambonis when he was seen by a male employee. Two days later, he was called into a meeting with the supervisor initially suspended, suspended for a week. He was terminated February 17th. I mean, I'm with you. If this is, if this is put forth as it is in the lawsuit, mm -hmm. um, I don't know how you can possibly fire a guy that's dealing with something that's affecting his health. And to be honest, I mean, I guess it's a yellow card on this, excuse the pun, but uh, I'm not sure it's a red card and he should have been ditched out. It'll be very interesting. I just saw J.D. Bunkus 
<laughs> J.D. Bunkus tweeting uh, that this should be a landmark case, and he hopes that Al bankrupts bankrupts the Red Wings in this lawsuit. Yeah, like uh, again, he went in a drain. I mean. I don't think it's like you want people to use the appropriate location, but if it was a one-time thing and an emergency and he had really had to go and according to who was it in chat, um, comment in chat, he says, if Al is over 55, which I believe he is according to the article, 68. Yeah. He's 68. Then you can't hold it in like you used to truth. And he saw a drain. He was tempted. And I think everyone just thinks of the George Costanza Seinfeld episode where he, Repeat in the shower, and this gif, uh, this gif was going around quite heavily uh, today. This one, I'm going. It's all, it's all, <laughs> it's pipes. all pipes. It's all pipes. It's all pipes. So, um, by the way, I knew that this was going. I knew we were going to have some laughs with this, as with the chat. I mean, let's yeah. get this. Let's get to some of these. Um, no one wants to pee in a drain. I'm sure it was last resort. Uh, guilty, sue me, already been fired by two jobs. There's comments. Um, he, I've seen lots of people use the drain in the floor in the Riverton bar. That's, that might be a bit much key. Um, we don't need this guy getting Euromystasis. Yeah, Euro, Euromystasis poison. Yes, yeah, from, I think George referenced that on, on Seinfeld. <laughs> when he, he when he peed in the shower. I do wonder who snitched on this guy, though. I mean, like at one point, if you're, if it's all dudes there and you're working, you might just say, "Hey, what's up?" As opposed to like going to management and getting the guy eventually fired. Brutal. And uh, no surprise that Gitch has a take on this. Too much stigma around public urination. Well, Jet Oil Tom, when you got to go, you got to go. And uh, anyways, I think the vast majority of the public is going to be on Al's side. And of course, mm -hmm. the reason why people recognize Al, he'd been there for a long time and he'd be the guy that would run the uh, Zamboni around and back when the wings used to make the playoffs would shake the uh, swing, the octopus over his head. So, I mean, a very popular figure amongst wings fans as well in the Motor City. Oh, sorry. Turd Ferguson's saying Jerry peed in the garage because of your my Sorry, I have my Seinfeld. I'm usually... A plus. Yeah, that was the parking garage episode. Sorry about that one. That one turned a lot. Dave LaFantasy, get yeah. him on the show. You know what? We're going to talk to Al's people and see if he, he may have to wait till the lawsuit is finished, but or maybe we can just get yeah. his lawyer on, his representative to yeah. speak uh, to speak to this at some point, Ray. Yeah, I can't believe I messed up that Seinfeld reference, but um, I'm really, I'm, I'm more upset about that than any mute <laughs> issue we've ever had on the, on the show. <laughs> I'm pretty rusty when it comes to Seinfeld, but I mean, yeah, if, if he was just by himself and thought, okay, I need to go, I can't hold it in anymore, go in a drain. It wasn't like went in a cup or something or went on the floor. Or, I don't know. It seemed like he avoided a worst-case scenario by going in the drain and someone snitched on him. That's my, that's my take from reading the article, assuming exactly. the article is accurate and there wasn't, wasn't doing other stuff and someone's like, I'm going to get back at this guy. And get him fired for this because he's being not a nice person. To, I mean, I have justice, no idea. justice for Al Sabotka. We'll we'll stay on top of this year in Winnipeg Sports yeah, Talk this, as more information yeah. comes available. I'm more, <laughs> I'm more interested in this than the uh, Johnny Depp trial that's currently <laughs> going on. I'm not sure if you're following that one. Has I, I had no idea, John. And no, okay. I I didn't even know about Johnny Depp. And again, far more interested in Al's legal battle than uh, what's Johnny Depp. Uh, was, okay. Is he charged with something? Is it like a criminal thing or? Yeah, we'll get, uh, we'll get to that in a sec. Rob Noakes writes, Brazil wants 
There was an article in the Huffington Post that the Brazil wants residents to pee in the shower because it saves water. So when you pee in the drain, it doesn't use up the water that uh, the toilet uses when you flush it. I'm flushing. Yeah, flushing uses up water. You got to conserve, you know. Uh, Johnny Depp's in the middle of a lawsuit with his uh, ex-girlfriend. I guess she's alleging he abused her and she defecated on his bed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's ex-wife. Ex-wife. I, I, I listen, of all the things I was getting ready for, I don't know if I was really prepared for what you what you just dropped on me. Yeah. Well, someone sent we'll me pay a, attention to that. Someone sent me a picture of it. Um, <laughs> about of the bed. Okay, um, I don't know if we need to show that on the show. I'm not I'm showing sure, it. I'm sure I'm not, everyone can get a bit of an idea of what we're yeah, talking about. Amber, Amber Heard versus Johnny Depp. Big celebrity, uh, celebrity sounds, trial. Sounds like a pretty messy breakup. Trending <laughs> trending on, on Twitter. I'm not too versed in it, but my brother said it was on every TV in his house yesterday. <laughs> and I, I sent me the picture. I honestly didn't even know it was, it was Johnny Depp. So. Oh, okay, let's get to the cool bet lines. I think we've. I think we should move off this topic okay, before people gets too fired up in the chat right now. What's the line on Al Saboka versus the Red Wings? I think Al minus three hundred for Al. Now Al's favorite. The Wings. The Wings have big money and they can afford big lawyers. But I think this is. I mean, I you could be the best lawyer in the world. I don't think you're winning this case against Al. I mean, this is uh this this is garbage. He, as I said, justice, justice for Al Sabatka on WST. Yeah, we'll we're definitely assuming everything in the case is being is what it says. Then yes, we are on Team Al. Look, we went into a, I mean, went into a drain. Wasn't we've all been there? Yeah, we've, we've all, all been there. I mean, and you know, as I said, that you know, I think he was being considered in between two Zambonis into a drain. I mean, what else? What else was he supposed to do? To be perfectly honest. I mean, if the alternative was to go in in your pants, I mean, then what? They fire him for having pee pants. Yeah. So it was it was no win situation. <laughs> tough tough times for Al. All right, <laughs> let's get to the cool bet lines today. Must win game for the Raptors. They are one and a half point home underdogs plus one oh five on the money line. Interesting. That's come down a bit. Got him at plus one ten last night. Raptors got to get this win. I'm looking forward to this game. Seven o'clock tonight. It tips off from Scotiabank Arena in Toronto. Hopefully the weather's maybe a little bit better and get a few more people out. Shout out to the diehards that were in Jurassic Park for the first couple games getting snowed on. Uh, Celtics and Nets tonight. Celtics, three and a half point favorites. Bucks, a big 10 point home favorite against the Chicago Bulls. And then tomorrow, <clears throat> the uh, series shifts back to the Twin Cities between the Grizzlies and Timberwolves. Grizz tied it up last night. They're a slight favorite for tomorrow. Mavs and Jazz, 1-1. Jazz, six-point home do- uh, home favorites. And tomorrow, also, the Warriors and the Nuggets. Big upset last night by the Pelicans, uh, beating the Suns. And uh, the Pel- Pel- Pelicans, only a one-point home dog in game number uh, three as the series shifts to New Orleans. So uh, lots of NBA action right now as the first round continues. And tonight in the NHL, must-win game for the Vegas Golden Knights at home against the Washington Capitals. Vegas minus 147. Uh, Avalanche, big favorites in Seattle against the Kraken, minus 294. Blackhawks, when was the last time the Blackhawks were a big road favorite, Reem? Minus 159. (laughs) You'll never guess who they're playing. Yes, the Arizona Coyotes. And the game that could spell the end of the Winnipeg Jets officially tonight, 
Dallas at Edmonton. Edmonton minus 172. If Dallas gets a point, the Jets are officially toast. Well, we'll have to wait and see. Then we can have all our tweets ready. The Jets are officially eliminated from playoff contention. Uh, yeah, I mean, just really, really sad um, how this season has gone. And um, we can put the final nail on the coffin if it isn't already like three quarters of the way in. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone realizes it's there. It's just when things become official and uh, could very be, very well be tonight. It could be tomorrow. Jets have one more road game, and that is tomorrow against the Carolina Hurricanes and then back for the Avalanche, Flames, Flyers, and Kraken. And then it's on to the offseason. And uh, a week Monday on Winnipeg Sports Talk will be a very interesting show. We'll probably go along that day hearing from pretty much uh, all the members of the Winnipeg Jets on uh, locker cleanout day or garbage bag day, as it is commonly referred to. I just want to put it out there for the record. We did raise the off-season champions banner for the we Jets. Did. However, however, we just raised the banner. It was, it was Pierre Lebrun who called them the off-season champions. It was not us. We were just... Uh, relaying the message. We did not call them off. That we didn't anoint them. It was Pierre. Um, so we just took the idea. We ran with it. Yeah, we. It'd be weird if we called them off. And the Winnipeg, you know, sports talk show. We called them off-season champions. We don't have that kind of power. Only the hockey insiders can determine. But once who one person real. said it, we said it nonstop for the rest of the summer before we dropped yeah, the puck on things. Yeah, yeah. Once someone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course, of course. But we didn't. We don't have the power to anoint them. It's the hockey insiders who determine the real off-season champions, not but us. I don't even want to think about what the banner we'd raise for this season uh, would be. Uh, Most, not, we're just we'll skip the we'll skip the should banner. Should we put out a tweet? Have a contest? <laughs> well, here's here's the banner. Fill in the name for this season's banner. Most disappointing season ever. Too we, negative. Too we negative. Spent all the way to the cap and couldn't even get a playoff spot. I'm not As sure. As I said, I'm at peace. I'm at peace now with the season. Five games left. See what we get out of them, and then on to an off season, which you know I think certainly it's given to give us way more to talk about than normally around here, oh, uh, because I think there's going to be. Plenty of changes and listen, some important conversations on this program as to how the uh, organization goes forward. That being said, one game tomorrow, uh, Carolina Hurricanes, another chance to see one of the great teams of the East getting ready for the playoffs and then back here for four more at home. Hey, one quick, and uh, by the way, Pierre, shout out to Pierre. He is my guy. He and I have been banging this drum that the NHL needs to go to three point games for 10 years. Um, he's got another piece in the athletic on it, revisiting it. And um, it still blows my mind that for all the big brains and tall foreheads in the national hockey league, they still can't figure this out as to why it would be so beneficial to playoff races, to the actual games, the 60 minutes of action, the third periods of games teams wouldn't be playing for the extra point going forward. Um, not to mention, uh, I think that the overtime and shootout would be great knowing that, you know, teams both have their point. They can get two. But listen, if you really need to make up ground, you'll be going for it in regulation trying to get that three points. It makes too much sense. Okay. I saw this tweet yesterday. This is a tweet from 2017. Uh, stats by Lopez on Twitter. The NHL's point system making the rounds. I guess we're talking about it. Uh, so he posted a video of some thrilling end of regulation action. Then he posted a, a graph here. Expected goals. These are the expected goals in a tie game versus a one game. One goal game in the first period, pretty even. Second period in a one goal game, you know, it's uh, expected goals 
what is, you know, even. But, however, in the third period here, you can see the expected goals in a one-goal game are more likely to see a goal. You can clearly see in a tie game, uh, you know, as the Shut last... Shut it down. The play last, for OT. The last five minutes, yeah, they don't even try to score, both teams. They just try to get the point. And again, it's baffling. We said this last week. It's baffling in a professional sports league how they can try out a system where some games hand out three standings points and some games hand out two. Makes no sense. No rec league would use that system, let alone (laughs) a league where people are paid for it. It's insane. Enough. Oh, man. All right. Good stuff, everyone. Fun show today. By the way, uh, Debo Samuel has officially requested a trade from the San Francisco 49ers. Um, We'll get to that. Uh, There'll be a lot of good NFL stories to talk about next week in addition to the final week of the season. Going to be doing the shows from Vegas next week in and around the NFL draft. First, we'll have all our regular Jets guests on and all our regular Jets content, but add a little bit in and around the NFL draft. Really looking forward to that. Of course, back to a cool bet. If you want to get in on the action for tonight, you haven't played before, use the promo code WST for a 100% deposit up to 200 bucks on your first one by using the promo code WST. Um, listen, uh, this is a bit of a different show today. Uh, it was a little heavier at times. Certainly our conversation with Marat and Wade Davison, as I said, kind of put a lot of things into perspective. Uh, but we really do appreciate them both coming on. Of course, a great Jets chat earlier with Sean Reynolds as well. Um, big thanks to all the sponsors that make Winnipeg Sports Talk happen each and every day. Aikens Lake, don't forget, they still need a couple university students. If you're looking to work in paradise for the summer, find out more at AikensLake.com or at AikensLake on Twitter. Uh, Wallace & Wallace, F Apparel, Vita Health, Culligan Water, Manitoba Battery, Royal Sports, Cool Bet Canada, Wallace & Wallace, Canadian Club, the Nick & Nicky DQ Group, BP, Princess Auto, Little Brown Jug, Not Auto Corp, and Breezy Bend Golf & Country Club. Uh, thanks to all of our guests. Thanks to you for making us a part of your day. We will see you tomorrow. Brandon Rowicki is going to be on the show tomorrow. Um, we're also going to have David Gustafson on the show. Looking forward to the Gus bus arriving on Winnipeg Sports Talk. And Troy Westwood is going to jump on on Friday in addition to Ken Weeb. So great couple days coming up. Make sure to join us. Have a great night, everyone. And thanks for hanging with us. Oh, my God. Oh! Shut it down. Let's go home. Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.